Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, thanks for coming over, dude. Thank Cheers. You. Thank you. Man. Have you done your coffee already? Straight Almost. down the hatch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess Wales is where I want the story to begin. My mum's from Brecon or Talgar. Uh, where were you born? You were born in Wales, right? I was. I was born in uh, Ostrindmanach, which um, is a little mining village uh, just north of Cardiff. So uh, I left, as you can hear from my accent. You didn't stay long. <laughs> I was. I think my first words were in a Welsh accent, but um, after that, we moved to America in 1967. So I was about two and a half years old, two years old, and. Uh, we're this little Welsh mining family that uh, emigrated to Atlanta, Georgia in the late 60s. So it was a bit like, I think for my parents, it was like landing on the moon. I'll bet. I mean, I imagine Absolutely at that time, nuts. not many people were leaving Wales to go no, to the States. No, I mean, it was, I mean, even, I mean, I traveled around, a, I moved around a bunch. And even in, I remember in the 70s moving around and that was strange. But in the 60s, to travel from England or from Wales and to, and to live in Atlanta was literally like moving to the moon. I mean, you knew you weren't going to see your family for even, you know, a couple of years or whatever. And, um, you know, we didn't have any of these things we have now. So, you, I mean, of course, it was yeah. just crazy. And of course, the world, I mean, you know, when I hear my parents' stories, I mean, it was 
my parents the first day my mom dressed my brother and I in wool um like you know the kind of thing you dress kids back in those days yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. wool trousers wool, and in sweaters and it was it was probably like 100 uh, percent humidity, ninety-eight <laughs> degrees, Atlanta in the late spring. I mean, crazy. Cra- I mean, it was just taking that Welsh fashion over, and there. she couldn't drive. So we were walking. I'm uh, literally walking from the motel to to pick up because I think they put him in a motel to start with, into um to to a shop, uh, you know, like a mile and a half. Just cars driving by. This woman with two kids dressed in wool suits. <laughs> <laughs> you must have looked like aliens to everyone <laughs> yeah. else, right? Yeah, it was it was nuts. I think it was just nuts. Yeah. What did your folks do? What drove them to want to migrate over uh, there? I, you know, I think my mother always wanted just, to. Can I just yeah, just stick you know that? that nice and close to your yeah, mouth as well. There you go. Lovely I stuff. think my, uh, I think uh, I know, especially with my mother, she just always wanted to get out of the valleys. I think she really she had aspirations, and uh, this opportunity came up. My dad was an engineer. And he had done well. And both of their grandparents were miners. So they were both underground at the age of 14. Yeah. You know, and up until they, they retired. And um, my dad did well enough in school that he didn't have to be a miner, which was a huge thing back in those days. And he went on and did, um, you know, got his degrees, worked in, in, in the UK for a bit. And then got in the late 60s, Vietnam War was, or mid-60s, late 60s, Vietnam War was, was raging. And they needed engineers to help basically build shit to kill people really mm-hmm. ultimately airplanes yeah. and things my dad was an aeronautical engineer and so the, and the best engineers at that time were over here so they recruited a bunch of them and my dad got you know got this job offer that he kind of couldn't refuse kind of wanted to refuse because he was much more of a you know he like, was a home he wanted guy to be was he really yeah, yeah i think his whole life he did really but um did they fact, have a the television? story goes, there's sort of an apocryphal story in my family that when he sent the letter of acceptance, he put it on a string on it and put it in the post so he could still pull it out if he changed his mind. <laughs> I don't know if is that really true or not. But so that's what really drove him over there. He had this opportunity and uh, they went and it was to build uh, bombers, I think, in, at Lockheed, which was based in Atlanta, just outside Atlanta. In um in the late in the mid late six in sixty seven I think and we were there for like a year and then we moved to North Carolina. Did so you have? Have you got brothers child. and sisters? Uh, I do. At that time, just a brother who right. was older, and so he he was old enough that it was quite quite a big event for him because I think he's seven years older than me, so he was about ten, and you know obviously a very just a little Welsh kid, and he was suddenly in this school in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and the, the story he always tells is it was his first day and he was spinning out, you know, just completely couldn't understand anybody and they couldn't understand him. Uh, and the, the, um, the teacher was like, uh, so, uh, y- y- you want to go to the restroom? And he was thinking, oh, thank God, <laughs> thinking there'd be this room with like couches and <laughs> yeah. shit. He could just rest him. <laughs> so they sent him down the hall and then he go walks into a bog. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so yeah, it was. I think it was really tough on him, but you know, we all benefited from it ultimately. And then I have a little sister, but she was born in the states a couple of years later. And you moved yeah. around a lot in the states. Am I thinking? I did. I did. I moved around. I mean, basically, you know, not to bore people, but then we moved to North Carolina. We were there for quite a few years, and then I actually moved to Birmingham uh, over here in the so, UK. Yeah, right. when I was eleven. So I lived there for a few years. And, wow. Uh, which was great, a great experience. And um, 
That's why I'm a Birmingham City supporter. Nice. Sticks with you. Always good to have Birmingham's yeah, on the show. Yeah. And then, um, and then from there we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, which was wow, traumatic back and experience. Forth. Yeah, when I did the Nashville one, man, that was tough because it was in the mid '70s, and uh, I had a Brummie accent at that point. And honestly, they really did think I'd come from the moon. I mean, it, you know, knowing that, you know, we don't, it's not like today where everybody sees TV. We're all used to like, you know, different cultures back then, honestly. Yeah, there was no Ozzy Osbourne. Nah. Well, I guess he nah. was around. But... He was around, but, you know, in Nashville <laughs> in 1977 or whatever it was. They were like, yeah. So, yeah, and then we just moved around a bunch more and I ended up... Uh, in, after university, I was in New York for a little bit and just running wild. And I knew I needed to kind of, actually, one of the big things, I just knew I needed to be a better actor. So I got accepted to drama school here, thank God. <laughs> I applied to like everyone, got one, finally took me. And um, I went there, I came to London. And ever since then, I've basically been back and forth. You know, I, work, I live in, sometimes in the States for long, long periods, but m- try and make London my home whenever I can. Do you. I mean, do you even, A, concern yourself with stuff like this, but do you identify as American, as British, as a bit of both? Uh, a, a bit of both. It, it depends which part I'm up for. Yeah, right. <laughs> Smart man. In, uh, in truth, I am more British, really. Um, I, you, the way we were brought up, just, you know, we had Sunday dinners. It was all like Sunday lunch kind of thing. We, you know, the humor of my family, we were, even though we were, living in america all that time i was you know we, we were always very very british in, in in my house and then we used to come here a lot like every summer for for quite a lot of years and um so it's always been very i was knew i'd come back here i think some part of me knew that i would end up spending most of my adult life living here but um i when i'm here a long time i miss america like i, I like there's something about the space of it the, there's certain convenience of it that i like so I can't be without either one. I'm, it's a weird thing. Like I can't be in one place. Like if I'm in LA for too long, I go nuts. I need to come back here. I need the, the compactness of this city. I need the culture. I need the people. I need the diversity of it. You know, there's something you know, that I miss when I'm there. So it's like I, I'm, I'm really a hybrid. I mean, I am pure hybrid of the two. But if I had to literally choose one, I'd say ultimately I'm really I'm British, even though I sound like like this. And luckily, you have the trade that allows you to jump back and forth. Yeah, exactly. And, and integrate I, and with I, both cultures. And, and what's nice is the business has changed a, a lot in that way. Because when I started as an actor, um, it was very hard to get seen for British roles. Even though I'd be like, I'm Welsh, whenever. You know, they would, you know, you were only seen from, like, if you had an accent like mine, or they, they even got a hint that you did, you were never seen for anything other than, um, you know, American roles and over here. And... Uh, and and the problem is they were you know this limits you so much. So I was determined. I, I mean I I you know I'm not bad at accents and I can do Welsh. I can do you know things. And uh, so um, you know it was it, it, you know I I'd, I'd always wanted to do much more British stuff. It's really hard. But what's happened now because TV's become so much more international. Mm-hmm. And we, even Game of Thrones is a big game changer in that we had American actors you know doing in varying degrees, but generally pretty decent British accents, you know. And it's more and more of that, that, you know, we get seen, you know, that it's not so like, if you're, you know, it used to be almost like if you're from, only did Liverpool, if you're from Liverpool, you know, they're so specific. 
And don't ask me to do that. I mean, <laughs> I'll leave that Stephen I Graham, had Stephen Graham on the yeah, podcast. I know, I heard and it was his accent podcast. when he's just being himself is like Scouse turned up to 11. I know. It's if amazing. you ever want to like learn the Scouse accent, I'm just, just going to study him. <laughs> but uh, so that's so, you know, I can I, I play both, which is great, you know, and uh, I get to you know, do, do bits and bobs playing, uh, you know, either, you know, someone from Britain or someone from. Uh, America, obviously, a lot of American stuff because I do a lot of work over there too. But you know that that's really been great. But it has been so great is how that's changed, and that may be partly because my work has changed, and you know people know me a bit more now. But yeah, it's a fascinating career trajectory and journey that you've had. And I want to talk first of all about the the school of drama that you studied at in London. It was under a guy called Sam. What was the teacher's name? Kogan. And yeah. Very radical. Eddie Marzen yeah. stood yeah, there with you. Yeah, Eddie's my best mate. Yeah, he's like, I mean, literally the expression, he's like my brother, you know, which people use all the time in America. Yeah, he's my brother, you know. In this case, it's really, really very, very true. We talk like every day. But he, um, we actually went to another school first, which, uh, Mount View, which is um, now in South London, I think, but used to be up in Wood Green, you know. Um, yeah, Wood Green. And uh, it was crazy back in those days. So um, <laughs> we were there for three years. So Eddie and I studied there together, and that's where we first met. Um, and uh, it's funny, it's crazy. Now you look back, and it's just, you know, there's probably like a handful of us still doing it, you know, left. We were still in the profession. But uh, there was a teacher. We, we were so lucky while we were there for the three years we were there. Sam was a teacher there. Um, they, they hired him. And uh, he was. Um, uh, amazing man. When Studied, you say he was like a radical guy, uh, what, what like, was his, his radical kind of science the, of acting? Less like radical just... now, but back, and we're going back to like 19, uh, I think Eddie and I started in uh, 88. So, you know, 88 to, to 91 or whatever it was. And um, back in those days, sort of drama, and, you know, people probably go, ah, that's not really true. But back at least in the majority of drama schools now, I know there were, you know, there was Drama Center was quite well known as being very radical and methody. And, you know, the, the, the kind of Mount View, some of very traditional drama schools were, the way they taught was still kind of very, they kind of steered clear of too methody type stuff, you know, too much Stanislavski. You know, you still got to like find your center and, you know, speak, speak clearly and, you know, very kind of RSC type acting um so they but they hired this guy sam he was just a teacher he didn't have his own school or anything at this point uh, and i think another school did as well in london i um had him teaching there but we were incredibly blessed because he was only there three years i mean they fired him ultimately because he, he, oh, the, he was just creating so much like a cult really around it because he was the best teacher there he was amazing and he studied at the moscow arts theater himself he's a russian um and he had basically developed the Stanislavski theory further himself. So he he'd come up a lot, a lot of with his own ideas, developing it. But basic, basically, it was Stanislavski. Um, and uh, so we, were, you know, it's just an incredible stroke of luck that Eddie and I had him. But he was a huge impact to both of us. Really, we were like, you know, some people hated him. I mean, some of the students just couldn't get it, but. Eddie and I loved him, and 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 and, and others as well. And um, yeah, he was he was amazing. And so once we left drama school, Eddie and I continued to study with him because I think one of the things, if there's like any young actors, you know, who are Rob Zombie fans and tuned into this, and uh, 
you know, one of the things I, I would say that why Eddie is still working and why I think I'm still working is because when we left school, we just still studied. We still did every shit play you could get. You know, we went, I mean, I the number of times I saw Eddie in a fringe theater with three other people watching it, or Eddie saw me in some dingy fringe theater with, you know, two people watching it. You know, we could count on all of our fingers, you know, tons, tons of stuff we did. Um, and it, because both of us knew, you know, it's like a process of learning. It, it's not like so many people I went to school, or a lot of people I know I went to school with just thought, that's it. I graduated, now bring it. Give me the, the, the I'm fully thing. formed, I'm ready to and go. And that's bullshit. It's like, I, I, and I knew I had a lot of learning still to do. I'd, I'd gone to university, had studied acting there. I went to New York for a year. I studied with some great teachers in New York. One of them, Beatrice Strait, who was, um, she, have you ever seen Network? No. If you get a chance, well, it's a great film to begin with. But so she, she was, was an actress as well, yeah? yeah? Really famous, like an older actress, British right. actress, um, older woman. By the time I met her, she was well in her 80s, I think. Wow, and still teaching. Yeah, yeah, and still working. I mean, she's an amazing woman. Um, she was Michael Chekhov, uh, who was another Russian teacher. Um, she had studied with him, so it was a studio in New York, and she taught, taught me for, for a year. And she was um, she's amazing. But Oh, Network, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't, to be careful, you got to put me back on track. It's all good. That's why Network is definitely worth checking out because she won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress that year, like in the 70, 76, something like that, for the shortest scene. She's only got one scene, I believe. It's when, like, um, I think it's Peter Finch uh, is, finds out he's having an affair or something like that, but it's just this amazing scene. But that one scene, she wins an Academy Award for. It's the least amount of time someone's been on screen and they still win an Oscar. So she was amazing. So anyway, I studied with her. I studied, um, you know, I, I went to Mount View. And even then I was like, oh, we, I still wanted to learn more. I, I know I can be better. I could be real. I can be more, um, just better shit. I could just be better. Um, and so. You still feel did. like that now? Still yeah, that. I always think like that. Yeah. All, I mean, all the time, like all the time. So we studied with Sam and then it was, and you know, did a bunch there as well. Um, uh, and then just kept, kept doing it. And, um. I still I always feel like I can be better, always learning. I mean, now it's like learning on the job, you know. Yeah, um, the best training school. Yeah, it really has been. I mean, that's why doing all those fringe theaters were great, you know. And also you can be really shit and nobody sees it, which is great because that's how you want to learn. Get it out of your system, yeah. right? I mean, it's hard now for a young actor who makes it really quickly because then maybe the next film, you know, they, they really take a risk and it doesn't work and then that's it, you know. So... Freddie and I was we were lucky we were able to be shit and like you know twelve people saw it and thank God <laughs> and there was no internet then so it's not on YouTube somewhere exactly like, yeah. right. I watched your first ever film the other day Death Machine ah, classic right. kind of cyberpunk yeah. um, the character you play is called Scott Ridley is that yeah. a kind of a homage to Ridley Scott yeah. was that all, the thing if you look all, all the characters names of that there's like um, one's Carpenter. Uh, after John Carpenter, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I forget the others, but the, every, every, I think all the names pretty much were 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 plays on different directors. Uh, and how and old are you when you made that? You're like thirty. I was um, not even. I turned thirty when I moved to LA. I think so. It was ninety ninety three. We filmed that, so I was twenty eight, going to turn twenty nine almost. Um, so that was in that was an amazing. Uh, that was my first kind of 
film. Mm. Thank, it was like my first job where I was actually making some. You and know, it's a pretty significant role. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, it was you know it was interesting because, and I, and it sort of a foreshadowed, in a way, what what happened to me and next really because it was a role that was like, um, he was head of this uh, cyber corporation or whatever, right? So really. If you had the budget, you got Christopher Walken. You need someone yes, who's like, it's, yeah, it's a you need Walken a fifty-year-old. You yeah. need like a who was probably like forty-five at that time or something. You need like a forty-five-year-old guy to play that role. But obviously, this was a low. You know, this is British filmmaking at its finest in the nineties. It was great independent film time, by the way. Of that stuff. There's some Richard Stanley. Have you ever heard of that guy? Yeah, yeah. You know, I loved all that. So. You know, they didn't have any money, really. They had just enough to get Brad Dorff, you know. And He's fantastic. Amazing, man. I want to go, I'll go there in a sec. But And so, you know, I auditioned for it, and then I auditioned again, met the director, and, uh, you know, we did the scenes together, and then I got offered it. But, you know, for me, it was great, because that was the kind of roles that I would eventually... I knew that I, those roles I could play, but I knew I was still a bit young. I was like 28. I wasn't pretty enough to be the leading men in films, but I wasn't really old enough to play... The characters that I knew I could play, so I, I had this thing that if I can just hang in there, you know, when I when my hair really does recede, you know, when my you know when I do start to look like these guys really will, you know, I knew that because I knew I'd be uglier and uglier as I got older and older. <laughs> um, that you know that things might pick up, you know, because it was it was tough, you know, it was just tough when you're a young actor, period. But it's particularly tough if you're kind of a character actor sometimes, and. Um, so yeah, it was great. It was a, you know, it was an amazing experience. Um, uh, well, you when you arrive in the film, I, I initially thought you're going to be the villain because you're this kind of sleazy business type, and then Brad rolls in, yeah. and you're like, oh no, that's the villain. And people listen to this if they don't know him. I guess he's probably most famous for playing Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings, but he was of course in yeah. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's yeah, Nest. Won an Oscar for that. And Billy Bibbit was that the character's yeah, name? Yeah. And Child's Play, all the Chucky films. But I mean, yeah. you get one real kind of key scene together in Death Machine. Yeah, where yeah, which was he's so just much off fun the wall, to do. isn't he? Yeah, he, and he, he's kind of he's so intense. And like that was my first experience working with an actor at that level. I mean, I had you know done Jeeves and Worcester basically chasing around Stephen Fry but yeah. you know, I hadn't actually really there wasn't anything proper in that but actually doing a scene with an actor with that much experience you know was well again a real learning thing for me because he was so focused like the, the focus he had coming on the whole time was incredible um, and yeah and he and again really generous guy no attitude you know, no, you know, just eat. Because when you're young, you know, you're terrified of these guys. I was, I was like, is he going to be, because he's also so kind of wacky too, you think he's going to be, I mean, he's a little wacky, but that's because, you know, he is wacky and that's, you can see that in his work. It's a good, fun wacky, it's a good wacky. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, I was really lucky that my first experience with a kind of Hollywood actor was him because he's just a great guy. And then I got to see him again. Halloween too, right? You're yeah, both in that. we were in that together, and we I don't, I don't think we had any scenes together, but we were working. We were both in Atlanta at the same time filming that. Um, so we went out to dinner, him, uh, him and I, and uh, amazing another actor. It was just great to chat, you know, and reminisce. Yeah, yeah he's he's a he's a he's a I think he's a great actor too. Amazing. I mean, he got you know caught up in the whole horror world and stuff, but if you go back to his early work and things, you know, he, he's just yeah, he's genius. Um, and then after that film, it's kind of like 
a dry spell for quite a long time, right? And I guess yeah. you've alluded well, to a, why there, earlier. There was because a, yeah, there was. There was, an, you know, I mean, the, the truth story is that um, there was. I did, uh, I went to, oh, basically, you, how much time do we have? Do yeah, we I got all have, the time is it in like the world. a string? I mean, honestly, people are going to have to fast forward. I got all the time like, in the world. I cannot rich. listen to these man's stories, man. But yeah, basically what happened was I, um, Unless you're like a diehard Richard Brake fan. But they, um, basically what happened then was I, I suddenly decided I'm going to be a movie star, right? As every young guy, you do a film and you're like, this is it, man. I am going to LA. So what weirdly, what happened to me was I, at the same, like around the time we were filming that, a friend of mine um, was doing uh, the Discovery Channel. So they were putting together some documentary, or they had put together a documentary for uh, D-Day, because it, it was like 40th something anniversary or whatever it was, 50th something like that. Anyway, and so they were taking this uh, documentary to sell in Cannes at the, at the TV festival, and at the stand, they were going to have actors reenacting daily things of soldiers in D-Day, so like clean, cleaning their boots or whatever, right? So they hired my mate and some other actors. And my mate called me and said, look, you, you know, if you want, this is a good pay. You know? And at the time, I'm like literally trying to make my rent. I'm going, and he's like, yeah, it's like, you know, whatever it was. You want to come do this? And we get a free trip to Cannes. And I'm like 28. I'm like, shit, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So um, I said, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm in. So basically did that. Went, we went to Cannes. It was the best time I've ever had, by the way. It was, it was so much fun. I mean, it's such a laugh. But we did this thing. And they loved it so much. They're like, yeah, come to Anaheim in November, December, whatever it was, because there's another convention, we're going to fly you guys, we're like, oh, we're going to LA. So I thought, well, fuck it, it's a ticket to LA. And I had no real, you know, I had a girlfriend, bless her, who I just basically said, who became my wife, but, and now it's my ex-wife, but I said, um, I'm moving to LA, you know? I mean, she's like, I mean, that's kind of unfair, really, and I just packed my belongings, which fit into a box, pretty much, at that point, and mailed it, to wherever, to my sisters or wherever she lives in America. And then got that ticket and didn't use the return. So we moved, so flew to Anaheim. I remember it was my birthday, 93, November 93. And then I moved to LA in then and um, ended up living there for like five years. So. Just going for auditions, going for parts. Yeah, I mean, I got there and, you know, it's an eye opener. You know, go, you know, it was crazy. It was like, I, I would not recommend it. Like if a young actor says to me, oh, I think, you know, I just did the, you know, the, and they do, like people, not even young people, like, you know, people have been around a little bit, go, oh, I just had a great part on, you know, whatever. And I'm thinking of moving to LA and I'm like, yeah, I'd wait. It's a good, one of the best things that I've heard is, is the saying, wait till they want you, which I think is, you know, if you're, you know, if you're an actor over here, you know, it's better to wait, you know, because it's such a feel like, oh, it's all happening there. But, uh, you know, I was my, you know, my, I had a British American passport. I, you know, my accent's like this. So I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to do it. And I had Death Machine in the can, right? Yep. <laughs> so I go there, I get an agent, you know, I want whatever, UTRA, whatever the big ones. I end up with like the sweetest guy in the world, but he retired after like three years to go do his real passion, which is photography. I mean, he was just, you know, his mother was the one helping him in the office. I mean, it was literally <laughs> like, like a one man show. And I would just go out to auditions and yeah, it was crazy. It would be, but it would be audition be like two lines. And I remember one was for, um, some Arnold Schwarzenegger film. And my, my agent called me, he goes, 
you got to get down to, it was like Universal or somewhere or wherever it was, Warner Brothers. You got to get down to Warner Brothers now. They've just fired the guy who has the opening line in, I wish I could remember the movie, but it was some Schwarzenegger thing, right? And and it's like, and the opening line was the name of the film. So it's something like you slam the door, your policeman slam the door and you go, gotcha. You know, the film is called something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Somebody will be able to Google and figure out which Schwarzenegger <laughs> film was about 96, seven. You know, so I get in my car, you know, I'm driving like breakneck speed to Warner Brothers, get on the lot. You know, I have to, it's on, it's during filming because they've literally just fired the guy and they need to hire somebody that day to shoot the scene. You know, and I'm waiting and there's like 20 other guys pacing around and we all go into the director's uh, trailer and literally, wait, I go into the trailer, director goes, okay, do it. You know, I get up there, way over the top, slam the door, gotcha. He's like, <laughs> take it down a little, you know, <laughs> gotcha. Drive home, hear nothing. You know, it was like one after the other, those kind of things. And uh, and that's tough, right? Because you got, oh, as you say, brutal. you've got to live, you've got to exist, you've got to pay brutal. rent. And you just realize the sheer number of actors, you yep. know, and you know, you pad your, t- t- your CV with all the um, all the uh, fringe shows you've done and you make yourself sound like you're you're the next Jeremy Irons or something so that you look really RSC, you yep. know, and all that. And they don't give a shit, you know, they just want, do you look, you know, you, how do you look, are you handsome, young? And I, like I said earlier, I wasn't good looking enough to go play the, the, the handsome guy and, you know, you know, geeks and freaks or whatever. And I wasn't, um, and you weren't really yet old, old enough to I, be, and not really characterful. Like my face became so much more characerful as I got older. The teeth got all mangled. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's just blessed There's so many great close-ups of, of your teeth in so many films. I know, because it's weird. It's just sort of like I, I had <laughs> like lizard teeth that came in, and they've sort of just mangled my front teeth, and I've never, you know, but in fact, I, I digress for a sec. I once went and had my, after I did Hannibal Rising, yeah. my mom was like, oh, you need to really get your teeth whitened, <laughs> you know? I'll pay for it to get whitened. I'm like, no, you have to pay for it. My mom's like, no, no, no. So I went and had my teeth whitened, like, really properly, like, really well done over here somewhere. And, um didn't get another job for like six months so i start I, like i thought it's because i got i white my teeth yep. i know <laughs> and everyone's going you look great you know they didn't know i was like yeah no no i'm not i never whitening my teeth <laughs> um but yeah so it was uh, it was brutal it was what really were you doing tough. for money well it was tough i mean I, that's this will tell you what what happened to me and this is what the um the reason why um there's that gap because uh, a lot of people say because i think that it's like almost Wikipedia, 10 years somebody right? wrote I think it was more like, yeah, maybe it's that much. I, 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 I'm not sure. But um, so basically, um, I was doing uh, whatever I could. And one of the things, one of them I remember is a friend of mine had like a vending machine business. And the vending machine business is very, it's not, I think there's a gangstery thing going on there. And I don't think my friend was too gangstery, though. He may have been. I don't know. But there's definitely like, there's definitely contracts that are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things. So he said, look, I need you to, can you cold call these leads I've got? And he had like 1,000, you know, like 10,000 leads that he purchased of like um, car dealerships throughout Southern California. And I, I basically sat in an office on my own with these cars. He goes, I'll pay you, you know, four bucks an hour. And every time you, you get me a, a contract, you know, I'll give you whatever. So, and I would just call these, but you know, it wasn't, it was like, you know, I was calling these car dealers who are in a, in a gangster thing. And they just be like, oh, fuck off, man. You're not. And I was just abused the day in and day out of this abuse from these guys. 
And I was just being worn down. Yeah, but I was like, trying to make what I could get. I just survived to go to some damn audition to do one line in a film that I'd probably only get, you know, a couple grand for if I'm lucky, but at least I'll pay the rent. And then what happened was I was in, um, my mother had come to visit me in uh, L.A. And uh, she, she was a really successful woman. And, she had, she, and later in life, she had decided to open a, an antique store importing British antiques, um, furniture from mostly pine, well, almost entirely British antique pine, which was really big in the States. Is this just, very, again, pre-internet? So you can't get access to stuff right, like that? Right, right. It was, you know, you couldn't, it was definitely way pre-internet. It was, she started in, she really started in the early 80s, but wow. by the mid-80s, uh, they had moved to Connecticut, which was um, kind of very sort of New Englandy. you know, those were a lot of Anglophiles. And, yeah. and she had opened a little shop there and that just took off, like, like, unbelievable right and then she she expanded into a much bigger shop and she became the biggest importer of antique pine in in the u.s i mean she was just massive and she'd done this really all on her own i mean it was incredible really uh and she was in her 50s when she started so you know anybody looking you know for inspiration you can start anytime do what you want because she loved that kind of stuff so she loved it and uh my sister had just divorced and she was looking for something so my mom goes out and she goes you know you could uh yeah, you know, I can help you guys start up a, a branch of this shop, Prince of Wales, it was called, and your sister can help run it with you, and because um, you know that would be great. You two can run it. You can be, you know, your thing. And I was like, yeah, you know, I started thinking because by this point I was burnt out with talking to car dealers, Beating getting down. screamed out. I mean, I was just. Be- I used to drive to this guy's in the valley, in LA. You go yeah, over yeah. the hill, right? I was living in. Beverly Hills I call poor man's Beverly Hills because it's like <laughs> the flats bit but yeah. it just happened literally on the border of. but I just found a, an apartment there that was a reasonable price so I was there and I'd drive over the hill and then I and then you, you it was just this flat long drive to get till you got to my, my friend's like shed that I would sit in and I used to look at the mountains as I would drive thinking I'm just I should just keep driving just keep driving into that mountains and disappear because I was just so depressed by that point and I thought, oh, yeah, let's do this antique thing. Um, but I pictured it like this. See, I pictured myself on set because I was going to still do my acting, right? I was just totally, this was just a side thing, this antique. To live, yeah. Yes, this furniture. I say antique, but we actually were bringing imported like uh, furniture that was being made out of old wood. and Like bespoke from, furniture. Yeah, like, you know, people, they were, at that point, they were taking old buildings and tearing them down you know when they would building would get torn down they would take the pine wood from the building say an old like barn or something and turn it into a table and and you know that would be a whole repro line so you know that that stuff was selling well too so anyway anyway let me go on that so um i'll start looking at your furniture and analyze <laughs> well that furniture is massive in this part of london <laughs> isn't it? there's so many shops like yeah, that exactly <laughs> so um so I, but I picture myself like calling my sister from the set going, yeah, so what were the sales today, sis? You know, and just, you know, totally, you know, just being easy, you know, it'd be Her doing all thing. the work. Yeah, yeah. maybe just be popping in and just helping out a bit. And, but of course, it's Manager you know, by running proxy. anybody who's run their own business. You've got to retail, be there, hands on. Unbelievable, the amount of work. And I'm a bit of a control freak, I've learned. And it was... An, I mean, it was the hardest thing I've done in many ways, but it was um, nonstop. So, and it did well. The shop was, you know, it was in Santa Monica, and you know, and and we were selling. But this is the way we had to start building our own stuff there, and we had these incredible guys building. But it, I was in like hunt, like like nonstop working at it, 
and um, but earning some money, you know, starting for the first time. The first Actually, time had a credit life. card. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like I never even had a credit card. And now they were sending them to me, begging me to have them. And I was like, "Wow, this is pretty good." I was, you know, I got married, and um, and I was still auditioning though. I still had this agent. Just about he hadn't quite gone to become a photographer yet, and his mom was still working. You know, he's a nice guy. He was still sending me out every once in a while, and I would, and I got one film called subterfuge which is truly the worst film ever so please no one watch that i'm absolutely awful in it but um you know so i was still like trying to keep my feet in it you know and did a bit bobs but it was getting more and more possible and um and making some money though you know and then thinking maybe this is maybe i'm not meant to be an actor you know that was really coming you know into my mind and i was enjoying to some extent doing this furniture stuff um and uh, we it then basically happened that, you know, my mom's like, well, come over, you know, to, to the East Coast and help me run the here and your sister. And, you know, so I kind of thought this is it, really. I think we knew. So my wife and I moved to the East Coast and then I started running all the shops and more and more embroiled in it. And at that point, the only agent, my agent had then gone off to be the photographer. I had my English agent. She's an amazing woman. I've had the same agent since um, I was uh, left drama school. Still and, now. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, she was an assistant, really, at the agency that I went to, but she did all the work. And uh, then she became an agent, another agent, and I went with her. And now she's at another agency, and I went with her. So I've always been with her. And um, she was still kind of my age. She was like, what are you doing this antique stuff for? You know, she doesn't talk like that. Sounds like a New Yorker. But she, um, she's from up north, so she's very blunt. Yeah, she's like <laughs> yeah, from up yeah. north and her from Bradford. She's like says it as it is but um you know occasionally i'd be back in england she'd put me up for an audition for something you know but um i don't know i would never be able to do it but anyway the point is i i i was doing i had a big house i had a son by then my first child was born i had a big house in the country and in, in 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 just outside new york i had a big shop and another shop and other, you know and i'm driving back in my big car you know and my bank balance is finally you know paying paying the mortgage even at that point and I was, I think I must have been in 33 or four, I can't remember. 34, so probably like my, I'm 33, so right, probably my right, exact age, age now. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're older. Hadn't acted for, was it, was it, well, I'll tell you, it was like 99, so, and I'd done something, was it, I mean, 95, 96. I hadn't reacted for about four or five years. At all? Not really, you know, maybe, no, I think I'd, no, I don't think, I think the last thing it was like 94 five or something so it was like four years nothing really and uh you know some auditions and stuff but really I, then I, I knew it was fading i knew it was but i you know what's really hard like i, I didn't like watching movies because it would just make me I'll depressed bet. it's like a horrible reminder you know, of the life you could like, have had you know and then i was driving back thinking about my son who had just been born and i was thinking you know i hope he has you know as you do oh god what kind of life is he gonna have and and i just I had this thought popped in my head god i hope he doesn't have a life like me I hope he doesn't have a life like mine, right? And I thought, what the fuck? What a weird thought. And I just pulled over and I just was like, I just started crying. I was like, this is not good. If this is the way I think, that something's wrong. Um, it was a real big moment. I remember on the side of the road, big old Ford thing that I was sitting in, just thinking, car, thinking, Jesus. And, um, Tried, we tried a little bit. I tried to do, like, my ex was, you know, we're really good about it. We moved to Brooklyn, 
to see because we're and we're living in like a place that just in the suburbs in Connecticut is just you know pretty beautiful. Some people love it, not me. I'm an urban guy. So we lived in Brooklyn for a year. It was a lot of fun, but um, it was there that I just knew. And basically, I had to make a decision for a number of reasons. My mother's like, you know, and they could tell. You know, deep, she, you know that's what great about moms. A good mom can just know if something's not right with her kid. And um, she just knew it wasn't really right. So she said, Look, you got to make your mind up. Is this really what you want to do with your life? Because we need to do some paperwork to kind of bring it over to you. And you're talking like millions, right? Like being a millionaire, you know, multi, multi-millionaire. Um, and I just was like, I thought it through, talked it through a lot with my ex. And uh, she was my wife then, obviously. But um, and we had this little baby. She had a um, housing association, one bedroom flat that we'd held on to uh, over here. And I had my agent that I hadn't, you know, done. I hadn't worked in like whatever seven, eight years, and just thought, I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking that I could have, you know, had to go. So we just said, no, you know, we're gonna, I'm gonna give it up, and just walked away from like millions, and millions, and we had hardly any savings either because we kind of been. It was expensive living in Brooklyn, you know. <laughs> so we had a little bit enough to kind of get us settled and be okay if we didn't make any money for a bit, and then and then we came back to. Um, to, to London and uh, she got pregnant within about a week oh man and so I had two babies hadn't worked <laughs> yeah. as an actor um, but you're happy you're feeling but I was happy brave. I was really inspired and I just you know just went for it and I think one of the things that's great about having an experience like that and that's why I think people really need to have a think about it if they want to be in a you know whatever it is if it's you know what you're doing DJ anything or, creative is hard it's work it's hard work and you gotta be sure it's really what you want and they say to you, you know, you got, and when you're young, you're like, yeah, it's definitely what I want. It's definitely what I want. And, um, and, and deep down, you got, you got to answer that question because what your head's, what you're saying to people is not always what your head's saying. And that's kind of where, what I began to really realize when I got back to, you got to really see what, you know, you know, what, what your real brain is saying to you. And I think that's important as an artist all the time. Like, what is your, what is your, what is your, you know, um, uh, what do you call it when you, you, your own subconscious whatever what is actually saying to you and 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 then if it you know for me the experience of doing something else and being so unhappy made me realize it is what i want to do so there's you know times when it's tough especially in those first few years back that i just know i'm much happier doing this even though you know we don't have a car you know we're in one bedroom you know we're lucky to get a couple more bedrooms we did a how flat swap or whatever you can do so you know but yeah, I got two kids, but you know, it 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 was worth it, I, and it's stuck with me. It's really been a you know big thing. That was a huge now, and that's the, the true reason why there's a gap between nineteen. What is it, ninety four or something? And I think ninety five was definitely, and then two thousand and two. Yeah. But then two thousand and three, boom, boom, Cold Mountain comes out. Yeah, and you're in that, yeah. and it's one of the biggest, most lauded, successful films of its time. Cast is incredible. Um, how do you get that role from from nothing of note yeah, for no, so long? I know, it was great. Well, to, and part, it's like a meaty, decent partly role. Partly because Anthony Miguel is just a special guy. Unbelievable. Um, so did you audition? Did uh, yeah. you read for it? So I was doing, I was lucky. I came back and, and one of the first jobs I got was a, a play that was at the Almeida, but it wasn't really at the Almeida. It was because the Almeida was being renovated, I think. So it was at the like rehearsal rooms of the Almeida. Um, but it was, you know, for the public kind of thing. 
And, Almost um, the Almeida. Yeah, so I could put Almeida <laughs> on my CV because yeah, yeah. they produced it. But we were in this kind of rehearsal room. It was cool, and they set it up like a um, like a theater, and you know, and, and and it ran for whatever a month, and then it toured, and it was directed by um, God, uh, my brain is gonna. Um, what was the play anyway? So we can the set play, the scene. You know, even the play, at. I'm not. It was. Um, uh, the play was like a really weird, obscure play based on somebody's diaries. It was not right. very good. It was really long, long um, uh, dialogue, like monologues and things. It was it was really dull. And I played a Dutch, <laughs> his like Dutch servant. It was this right. guy that le- never, le- it was a true story. Like he never left his house and he just, um, uh, he just, um, I don't remember that guy's name later, but he's just... Um, uh, amazing director, o- older, incredible, incredible. Directs a lot of opera. I, I can, I don't know why I can't remember his last name, but um, uh, it, and so this this play was not great to be honest with you. But we went on tour with it anyway. This director, whose name, whose last name I cannot remember, who I can picture totally right now, who I actually know even from before because he brought down an amazing version of Long Day's Journey and Tonight with Kevin Spacey right. that came to my university when I was there. So I'd I'd known. Uh, his work and it was it was incredible. Like he's an incredible director. Um, so Antti Mangella, when because he saw that I was working with him at that time because I auditioned while we were on tour. Um, I think that's what made Antti Mangella go oh because I did a tape first. I think I went to see the cast. I was in we were film we were uh, on tour in like Winchester or somewhere or Oxford or somewhere, and I um, had to come into London and go on tape. And then I, in the tape, like you know they always say like. What are you up to at the moment? And I was like, oh, I'm doing this play directed by you know Jonathan, blah, blah, whose name I can't remember right now, who's incredible, and um, uh, and I think that made Anthony McGillig go, oh, and that and probably my face by then it started to look a little bit more rugged and and weird. So he, uh, so I came down and met him like the next week. Again, I had to come from wherever I was, and weirdly his offices were right near where I used to live. Um, so I went and met him and just had a quick little read and just had a chat, really. Just such a, an amazing man. And then I wait like a week, just, you know. It's longest so, week of your oh, life. Longest, because at that point, you know, obviously, as you just said, I hadn't really not done anything, you know. So this was just huge. And then I got the call. From, you know, I thought I hadn't gotten it. And then I got the call at the end of the day. I was like, oh, and I was just, we were like jumping around with joy. In, in the house and um and the amazing thing with that too is you know i went out there it was in the old days when they when they used to really treat you well on a mm-hmm. film you know like flew you out and then you got to take it through a you didn't have to go through customs you could take it through a special place and all it was like you know everybody it was weird every single actor had their own driver and car so it was killian myself and another actor there were the three baddies in that scene with yeah. natalie Portman, and um we all had a car so we'd all follow each other until we finally said, look, we just all want to drive together, really, because we just want to hang out. So we don't really need three drivers. We just need one. But um, so but I remember I flew out there. I got there about a day or two earlier than Killian and, um, for some reason. And uh, I remember going to set, you know, they to do a costume type thing or a makeup fitting or something. And there was Nicole Kidman, you know, and uh, Jude Law was there, I think. Oh, and Renee um, Zell- Zellweger. Zellweger, yeah. And um, thinking, Jesus. And uh, up comes Antti Mangala and just 
Like, it's in the middle of shooting all this stuff with them, right? Nothing to do with me. I'm not filming for like a few more, no, almost like a week. And uh, he comes up and just grabs my hand, you know, shakes my hand, holds it with both hands. And I'm not kidding. And I told this story before he died. So, you know, you tell stories about someone who passed away, like he did young and still in the height of their creativity. That, you know, it tends to be a little bit, you know, people tend to exaggerate stuff and, oh, he's the most incredible human. This is a true story. I, I've always told this story even before he passed away. Um, I've never felt anything like it. It was like this com- energy, because I was quite nervous, obviously. It was a big thing for me. This energy, I just felt this complete release in myself. I just relaxed. And, and it was like flowing through him into me. It was the weirdest thing I've ever felt. And I'm, I'm not kidding. It was, and I'm not like too hippie, deep. a little bit. I'm, you know, I'm a veggie. I'm a little bit. I'm a little yoga, but not, not this much. And it was like, wow, incredible. And he also gave me this feeling like I was the most important person in that film. That moment, it was, it was, he was an incredible man. It was really incredible. I've never experienced anything like it. Um, and then, yeah. So, and then we went on, and it was, a, it was a lot of fun because that was where I met Killian. Uh, uh, Murphy, who's just a, a lovely, lovely, lovely person. And we hit it off hugely that, that week. Um, two weeks. I think we were out there almost two weeks. And just had the you know, middle of nowhere. We were in Romania. Is in that where it's from? Middle of nowhere, yeah. In the, I think they wanted, because I'm from North, like I said, I live in North Carolina, and the book is set in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. So I talked a bit about that when I met Intimigala, and I think that obviously helped too. And, I, and um, they wanted to film in North Carolina, but uh, a, I'm sure budget, and B, also there's too many. It was like, tell you know, t- phone lines, and they just couldn't get around it. So they filmed in the mountains of Romania, it's quite far away from Bucharest. It was quite a drive. So we're really in this kind of skiing resort off season. It, it was so much fun. It was like, I mean, it, I was spoiled actually after that. I didn't. Re- I thought every film was like this. We were all living in this kind of. St- ski chalet place so everybody just had a communal room that we all hung out in and anybody put music on they wanted to and Killian's got great taste music he put music on and there was Natalie Portman who'd be giving you a kiss goodnight you know I mean it was just it was like you think oh this is how it normally is <laughs> you know you know, not now I realize mostly you're in some big hotel everybody's in their room occasionally you'll go out to dinner or whatever but it was this real like family vibe the whole time and um I've spoke to yeah. a few actors and they've always said that the actual experience of filming the projects is often as rewarding as the work itself, like everything around the work, you know, because mm-hmm. it's often like a boot camp and a, and a holiday. Obviously, you're there to work, but it's these experiences and these friendships. And yeah, it seems like you've had that a few times in your life as well, like meeting someone early on and then later on you'll work with them. And obviously, yeah. you and Killian got to do that scene yeah. in Peaky Blinders together. Yeah, and also, um, we met uh, and Batman Begins. Batman. Did you? So it was great because we're basically with, um, because that came straight after that, Cold Mountain as well. Because at that point, right? he, it was, he's a, I mean, I learned a lot from him. Like, you talk about learning. Like, he was a young actor when I'm, he was 26 or something, like, if that. You know, and, and uh, he had filmed um, uh, 28 Days Later. Yeah. Later, right? That's the one. Um, they had filmed it, and it was coming out around the time that we, it was like a couple weeks after uh, we were filming uh, Cold Mountain. So, you know, he, it hadn't come out yet. And um, 
So he, you know, he wasn't. He's not a star yet. No, not all. I mean, he was a young actor. The casting directors knew, and you know, that definitely he'd done, you know, done that uh, the play Disco Pigs, and and obviously, I'm sure he'd done some some film work, but he was not anywhere near what happened to him. And it was amazing because we're hanging out, and uh, you know, the film hadn't come out, and then and then it came out, and see, it did well over here. You know, it did reasonably well. And then I'm, I'm, you're probably aware of this, but then. Uh, and then we hung out a lot because he lived kind of or at that time lived near where I lived. So we would go and we just go catch a movie together, or, you know, just do, you know, listen, go see some music or, or do whatever. Um, and uh, well, the thing I learned from him, though, going back, so I should is we were flying back from Romania and um, uh, uh, we were chatting and talking about. Um, I think Colin Farrell actually about because uh, he was friendly with him because um, he had done a film with him. Actually, they'd done an Irish film. Yes, together. for a great a, film. A great, great film. film. I can't great remember film. the name of yeah. it, but yeah, yeah, really he'd done some movie. really good work already. Um, Killian, that's right, I remember. Um, and I think he had no, he was going went on to do Girl with a Pearl Earring afterwards, but um, which is weird because he was on the phone to the director of that who directed Hannibal Rising which I was so it's you know it's so weird how it all connects but anyway so we're flying back and um, I'm chatting with Killian he's talking about Colin Farrell and he had just been you know made a certain amount of money on some film that he just just done I can't remember which one right and it was a lot of money right you know not completely astronomical but you know something that and I remember Killian saying um, oh I can't wait till I you know I can't wait till I make something or something like this I mean it was probably much more poetic than this but you know I'm looking forward <laughs> to the day that I'm going to make that amount you know which is going to be soon kind of vibe like I'm going to do it and I, and I went yeah me too you know me too but I could see in his thinking that he really saw that right he really was like yeah that's going to happen to me and I could see that I was saying it but there was a little voice going ah, it's not going to happen you know and I had at that point in my life, I was actually studying with a guy who studied with Sam. I was still studying. See, I was still doing class. Every weekend, once a month, me and my mate, who was also an actor, would go and we would go to these, you know, this course, which is very much still based on kind of, did, um, his name is John. I shouldn't name drop him because he'll be angry if he's listening to this. John Osborne Hughes, who, who studied with Sam and then did his own. He's basically kind of taken it in another direction a bit, but it's more or less a similar type of uh, method. And I was doing some work with him and a lot of it's about looking at your own thinking really a lot of Sam's stuff is being really aware of your own thinking both to know it as an actor you know to be able to um do that in in work but also to see where your thinking is blocking you and messing you up because it's a lot of what being an artist is about our own thinking screwing us up um and I could see my thinking was like not really I was I was little voice was going nah fuck it. and it was huge man for me huge moment where I was like Oh my God, because if you have that little voice, it ain't happening. That little voice is the one that wins. No matter how much yep. you can say to your parents, yeah, I'm going to make it mom and dad, or yeah, I'm definitely going to be a movie star or whatever. If that little voice is really the one that you're, and you're not, and most of the time we don't hear the little voice. Most of the time we're not aware of it, or unless it's really loud sometimes. But normally we just think, oh, it's not there. But you need to be aware of it, is what the you know thinking I believe. So I saw it, and I kept watching it then. Like every time it popped in, I go, fuck you. You're just a little voice in my head. It's bullshit. It's just something that got put there as a little kid because some teacher probably, you know, and I kind of trace where whatever it was. But and I looked at some of the other little voices that weren't doing the same. And that was a huge moment for me because um, Killian didn't have that little voice. 
you know he was self-assured and he, he just didn't yeah or he had seen it or that little voice he had just dealt with it or some people i think the voice is more destructive than others or it's just not they're not as aware of it or whatever um and the the, the end of the story is that I, I started looking at that looking at that looking at that and i you know just keeping an eye on it right just really and looking at just all the kind of destructive thinking rather than just being like um and about a year later two years was it two years when I got Doom? It's that amount of money, exactly that number. Really? Yeah. Weird, right? Amazing. Shows you that. I mean, our thinking is our mo- like. The other thing I say to anybody as a young actress that asks me that is, you, you know, I say meditate because I think that's really important. And I say, you know, you got to really look at your thinking and look at those 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 destructive thoughts that are, you know, the the, the real ones, not the ones you're saying. Oh yeah, I'm going to be a movie star or I want to be an actor or whatever. But the ones that are truly coming in so yeah it was great and i learned tons from him but then he went on and that summer they released uh 28 days later and it was so crazy we went i went i remember and it went huge right? i made like 60 million yeah and it became massive. a movie star overnight and i remember we were, i hadn't seen it for like a month or two and we hooked up and i remember in swiss cottage i remember seeing him go hey man how's it going he goes you won't believe it it's <laughs> crazy like it's literally overnight his life changed i mean it was madness and he hasn't looked back you know, it's been great. And it's great. Oh, every once in a while, we have a little exchange. She lives in Ireland now, so I don't, you know, I don't see him like I used to. But um, on Batman, it was, he was really helpful. Cause I, and I, even, I helped him. Uh, I will say this. I, I, I helped him with his audition for that because he's got, and because he, he auditioned for Batman originally. Did he really? Yeah. And he called me and goes, I'm auditioning for this. I'm not, I can't say anything, but for you know, a new Batman film. I'm like, oh, but can you help me with the accent? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. So we came over and we worked the scenes and then he flew to LA, I think, and did the whole screen testing and they liked him but gave him Scarecrow, I guess. And uh, I remember him calling me going, yeah, I'm not getting Batman but it looks like I got this. And at that point I started auditioning for, I had just began the process, the long process of auditioning for Batman. For so Joe I was like, Chill. Well, I think I might, I'm hoping to be in it too. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? Yeah. Did Cold Mountain change everything then? Not really. I mean, it, it made, I think it only changed everything in, row, in that, like, I was the first time for me that I knew I could do it. It changed everything. The way it changed everything was the, the realization on that flight home. Yeah. Right. But in terms of people going, oh, Rich Break from Cold Mountain, man, let's get him. Not really. I mean, I mean, my friend Eddie, oh, Eddie Marsden, I was saying that. In a way, it's, you always think it's going to be this one job that's going to make suddenly you're you're made, but you know that that's really rare. Like it happened in Killian's, but even then, I'm sure there was you know if he talks about it, I bet you'll say there was lots of parts where he, other times after that when away. it dropped or when it was like. But for like um, actors like myself, it's a build. You know, it's you just yeah. build a body of work that eventually they can't help but notice you because it's just, you know, you're just this in their face all the time. And there's, you know, there's a building of a body of work, really. There isn't that great moment. So sort of that was the beginning of that build, but yeah. And then another crazy series of events is the actor who plays Bruce Wayne's dad, Thomas Wayne is Linus Roach, right? Who later on turns up in Mandy yeah. with you. He's Jeremiah. You're the chemist. Again, yeah. one of those. And, what I didn't know about him is that his dad is Ken Barlow from Coronation oh, Street. Yeah, yeah. No, I always forget <laughs> that. And then, yeah, yeah. And then, because I, I hadn't seen Linus since we filmed in Batman. And then I didn't see him on Mandy because we're not in any no, Yeah, no scenes together. Yeah. One bit. And then uh, I saw him at a screening they had over here. 
and it was great to see him again. I was like, wow, man. Um, but again, I like, always forget that he was Ken Barlow's yeah. son. Yeah, yeah, nuts, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. How was working with Christopher Nolan? I know it's a very small scene, but it's such a key scene to the the psyche of Bruce Wayne. Obviously, the guilt that he lives with, you know, that feeds so much into that, and so it's a very key scene, despite the you know brevity of it. Yeah. Was it fun working with him? It was. Um, yeah. I mean, because I remember before we started, because Killian had been working on it already, and, and I was like, oh, how's it, you know, how's it going? He goes, well, if I can give you one piece of advice, what I again, he talks far better than that, but um, he said that with he's Christopher is not like the kind of guy that you know gives you lots of stuff or if he likes what you've done then he'll just move on you know in other words move on to that the next shot or the next setup or whatever I was like oh that's really good to know because you know it's like you're looking for a praise or anything. yeah and so yeah. it was actually for me especially because that was really nerve-wracking like with Anthony Miguel I was a little I was nervous yeah I was like nervous I was spent the you know I remember calling Eddie going we got a day off do you think I should just be like running my life you know we got pictures in this acting that we like. Should I run me, or should I go see Vampire Castle with or Dracula's Castle? Because he's like, look, just just relax, just run your, you know, do your pictures and then go. You know, it was ridiculous. I'm gone. Man. What should I stay in to do my work? <laughs> that's how nervous I was. But um, but as you I, said, you'd uh, had with, that exchange with yeah, that he'd set your mind at ease. Yeah, so I felt better. And then when I with and that was good to know from Killian when I went in to do um to do that because the first scene I did. Because I have like, there's the courtroom scene, then there's the shooting his parents scene, and then there's the scene where I get shot, which is, you know, it was pretty easy. But the um, courtroom scene was the first scene that I had to shoot. And, you know, I have that little speech, and it's like, and I just, I don't know, I just, I did, I did do a lot of preparation for it, a lot of work. I had a fair bit of time before we shot, and then just did a couple takes, if, if not many. And then he just went, okay, great, move on. I thought, right. And I have to say, when I see that, because I'm not a great one at watch, I don't watch my own stuff very much. I mean, I have to sometimes, obviously, but a couple of years ago, I just stopped trying to, you know, I just stopped. So you're trying to avoid so the premiere. So if premiers. I don't have to watch it, I don't. Yeah, 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 I do. I mean, the only ones are Rob, so I'll go do yeah, yeah. stuff because I, I just love him. We'll get to him. But the thing, um, but was, uh, but I've seen that scene, obviously, and then I was like, and I think that for me, it's like when I look at it, that is one of my favorite bits of acting that I've done personally. If I had to pick a bit, I mean, I was just that, and it's a tiny little scene, but it's really, you know, something, you know, it's really, really, I really love that. And when somebody once commented and said, oh, I think that's what, you know, sent me a little post or something. And I thought, oh, it's nice that some people see it. It's because it was just things in that that I really love. And I, you know, subsequently, could never see it again on it you know but <laughs> and that's when I've i guess done. all those years of training and i don't know what it's just sometimes things just work out and yeah you know, sometimes like you do something and it's like ah, oh. and other times you can think you've done such great stuff and then you look at it and it's like oh, it's crap but that's you know just that's how it is and i think one of the things about doing it for so long is you don't you know not to be so precious about it and just you know, I've done some work I thought was going to be brilliant. When I looked at it, it wasn't that great. And then I've done other things. That I, like that scene, I didn't think, oh, that's great. I was just pleased that he said, move on, you know, and not not done 50 takes and then moved on. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's something, you just do the work and then do it and hopefully it looks good. Well, everything changes in the edit, doesn't it? It does. I everything. mean, that's why I actually don't, you know, in truth, it was about almost 10 years ago now. 
mm, yeah, maybe that long, that I made the decision to really start watching my stuff. Um, unless, obviously, like, there's some things I do watch, and sometimes you have to watch. But, um, or if it's a small enough part that I mean, I'm more interested in seeing the film than yeah, my yeah, little yeah. walk on. But the, um, the reason is that I find uh, that you don't have control. Like, as an actor, I realize, one of the things I realized fairly early on is you can do all this great work, but the edit affects it. Sometimes the direct, you know, I've been lucky I've had great directors almost all the time. Um, but a director can, they just shoot it. You think, oh my God, now I realize you're shooting it all in mid shot or they don't have, sp- it's just so many things affect the performance that what, in terms of what you, that you have no control over that in a way it's almost like the work that I do when I do the scene is the work I need to enjoy. And yeah. that's great. If I'm happy with that, whatever looks on screen, I, you know, I can't control that ultimately. And it's been very freeing actually making that decision not to watch my stuff generally. And you've had some amazing directors straight after Batman and Doom. You go into work with Spielberg and Brian De Palma, yeah, right? Yeah, I was really scared now, that night. Yeah, yeah. For you, I imagine you would have grown up watching a lot of those great 70s films, like all the stuff that Rob loves, you know, Coppola, Scorsese, yeah. Spielberg, yeah. De Palma. Yeah, oh, De Palma was great. I, I was so pleased to get that. Um, Bobby DeWitt. Yeah, that was great. It was, I had to meet him for the audition, and it was... Um, uh, actually, Eddie Morrison was at the audition too. We were both audition. We were both prepared together for it because we used to back in those days a lot. We'd prepare with each other. So if he had an audition, I'd go to his house and help him prepare. And if I had one, he'd help me prepare. Um, so we both had one. He had a different part. Um, and so we were both, you know, preparing. <laughs> his, his is the coroner, I think. He went in for the coroner and he went in and, and he comes out and he's like, and because right before I went in, the casting director said to me, "Make it funny." Bob like uh, you know De Palma likes him if it's you know it's, and he's like how do you make a corner funny like, Jesus <laughs> so I went in and did Bobby DeWitt and it was great I I mean Brian De Palma's got like this whole you know there's a sort of myth that he's this just this nasty tough guy and he's really hard on his cast and stuff but I hadn't, I mean I I really liked him got on with him really really well I mean I was only out there for I think it was two trips it was Bulgaria we shot that. Um, a couple of times, but um, yeah, I, I really dug him a lot, and I loved his films. I mean, I'm a big Scarface. I think fan. one of the most overlooked and underrated gangster films ever made is Carlito's Way. Yeah, I think that film is yeah, as good as the Godfather definitely. films, as good as Scarface, yeah. good as Goodfellas, but it yeah. never gets mentioned in that same breath. But yeah. I think both Pacino and Sean Penn in that film, and just the style of it, the the camera work, the set design. Yeah. It's an incredible yeah. film. Yeah, no, he's a he's a he's a really great director. He really is. Yeah, it was nice. So at the end of that little, you know, the scene, I have that scene with um, uh, uh, where I'm, you know, I'm getting beaten up and stuff and thrown down or whatever. And with um, Josh Hartnett, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, he, uh, you know, we we shot that thing, and we actually had to, I think we had to, a couple of days shoot, believe it or not, to do that. And then at the end, I get this big hug from Brian De Palma. I was just like, wow. You know, it's nice getting a big hug from this is incredible, like, iconic director. Yeah. Was one of, I'll never forget that moment. It's a, I was a really, I loved working with him. Um, and the then that same Sp- summer, I worked with Spielberg. So Spielberg I was like, oh, my Munich, God, this yeah. summer I bookended. I think I did Spielberg at the end of the summer and De Palma at the beginning of the summer. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was it. And that was for Munich. 
It was a tiny, you know, little scene, but I don't think I've ever been so nervous because that was, we had to, um, it was me, um, it was three of us out, yeah, three of us, um, these kind of, I guess we're these CIA agents and, and typical, Spiel, I mean, Spielberg's incredible to watch. I mean, like the way his mind works is on, it's on, an, in terms of filmmaking, it's in another planet. It's like, it's, because it was, I, if you see in that scene it, I think the camera it just it does all this stuff right it follows these different people it's like almost one shot or there's a and there's definitely some very complex thing going on where the camera's across the street then it comes on the other side I mean it was huge right like a huge thing and he was editing in his mind you could see that he had it all in his brain like the way it works I just meticulous it was unbelievable like his mind and, he, and he's also so relaxed in between takes he's putting on some on his iPod, some weird comedy thing, or whatever he's there listening to. Or he's just an incredibly relaxed guy, but at the same time, his mind is just like it's somewhere else, like completely working the whole film out. You know, this whole definitely this whole scene out, and it was it was really extraordinary. But the way it worked was that it ended up kind of landing on me. I think at the end of this whole big sequence of camera movements, it lands on me, and I have to say something. You know, like, oh, you know, I have to be drunk and say something. So we do the whole thing, and it kind of lands on me, and I do my thing. And Spielberg comes over, and he's like, yeah, maybe not so drunk, you know, maybe the character not, not so drunk. And I'm like, immediately, like, oh, you know, I have one thing to do, right? Literally, I mean, I'm not, I'm there just doing this one, like, or three lines or something. And I'm just like, oh, my God. I just thought, oh, and I sort of blew his shot, I guess, because, I mean, in essence, I think, because he wanted to kill. I was like, oh, I'm just terrible. I, and then he goes, okay, take two. And, you know, it was a long little setup as well, so it takes a few minutes to set it up. So, And honestly, at that point, I felt like a postman who'd won a, 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 a like, um, thing to be in a Spielberg film or something because I just forgot. I mean, literally, I just wanted the floor to open up and me to drop through it because it's just, oh, my God, I can't mess this up again. I would just be terrible. So come, you know, the whole thing goes, woo, 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 and it just lands on me, and boom, it was fine. It was good. He was happy. He was like, yeah, it's great, you know, so, whew. But I had to, I think literally right before he said, you know, action, I was just like, when, please, God, just help me get this right. I think I've used that plea to, to the universe a few times since when there's been those times. Because I think every actor goes to, I know, in fact, I know every actor that works, you know, a reasonable amount goes through the experience. I've seen, I've been with people where I've been on the other side, watch people going through it. And it's just where you just can't get it right, you know, and it just, the pressure is just building because they have to do another take and whether it's a line or whether it's just getting what the director wants you know it's one thing if you're Jude Law and you're you know best friends with the director it's another thing if you just come in for a day or two and they just want you to like because I mean I learned I tell you one of the big things I learned on Cold Mountain was that it's so much harder to be the kind of actor that comes in and character actor that does a bit because you're expected to come in and do it yeah um, I mean, Jude Law, I was saying, even though he's got to run, carry the film and he's got his own set of pressures, which are astronomical, in a way, he has They're to, in a groove. It's easy, yeah. He's got a relationship with um, Gala. They've done films before. They've, you know. So in a way, I was like, ah, man, he has it easy. But then, of course, you know, he's got his own set of things to deal with in terms of being a leading man on a big film. But, yeah. And then again, you took up with him on Spy. It just yeah, keeps happening, doesn't yeah. it? It's crazy. I, I, like, do you think I it's just a Because our kids know each other. Because I have teenage boys, and he has, you know, he has a bunch of kids. And uh, one of his daughters is friends with one of mine. So, um, 
I uh, and I had run, and we used to live fairly near each other, so I'd run into him occasionally. And so, and, uh, um, and then we did Spy, and by then our kids were quite good friends. So you know, like, hey, okay. you know, so we hung out. It was, it was a lot of fun. Spy was great fun. We had that was fun. It was just fun, period. And um, and uh, yeah, it was quite crazy. Yeah, because you know, going where were we? I think it was Budapest. So running around Budapest on a Saturday night with Jude Law is. You know, there's literally like a, a crowd following, you know. Of, of does it, so he does go out and sort of mingle? Because there's he a does. few I mean, actors I've heard that just don't Yeah, it's hard. Do I mean, that. he tries to. I mean, we have to like escape through a window, I think, of a club <laughs> to get, or like through our back, you know, some kind of, yeah, it was like a window or something. I forget. We had to kind of, just because it was, you know, it was getting too crowded with people. But I think, you know, as much as he can, it's hard for him. I mean, that's the kind of thing. I mean, you know, I complained about the pressures of having to come in and nail a scene. But nothing like the pressure he gets because he's just, you know, constantly getting hounded by people or people filming him when he's just trying to, you know, go out and have a drink with his mates. I mean, I can't imagine. And then it's on YouTube and, you know, and it's like, oh, it's just crazy. Well, the camera phones have really changed the world for the worse in many ways for that. I was watching a Morrissey show once and it was me, my ex-girlfriend and then Russell Brand. And we were just on this row enjoying the show. And then as the night unfolded, more and more people would notice Russell Brand was in the row and would linger on the edge of the road, just like filming him watching the gig. And we were in front of him. So in the sort of the eye line of, and we were kind of just looking at them like, how rude do you have to be? Like, it's one Crazy, thing going up to someone right? going, hey, Rich, I recognize you from your work. I'm a big fan. Can I have a picture? Yeah, That's one thing. But to just be like, hey, there's the, the dude that plays the Night King. Let's film That's him crazy. in Tesco. Like, no, weird, right? It's just, yeah. I mean, it's just weird. Weird that people would do that. Um. Do you ever get asked about the Muse video that you did? Um, like on the street, like random. Oh, I loved you in that Muse video. Uh, not <laughs> in often. Sometimes when I'm at Comic Cons, like I was actually weirdly, I was somewhere. I was in Spain a couple of weeks ago doing a Comic Con, and uh, somebody brought a copy of that for me to sign. Amazing of the, of the Muse. Well, that was right at the tail end of the music industry. I think when the budgets were really there for music videos on such a huge scale that kind of era is pretty much gone now like the music industry has changed so much probably even more so than the film i think um and that video is like epic like yeah. the scale of it it's like a mixture of a spaghetti western kitsch sci-fi 70s kung fu film like it's all these stylistic elements thrown in and you're yeah. the kind of like the villain yeah like cowboy in black sure for something yeah it was are you a muse you know, fan Joseph how did that Khan. come about no i mean i, I you know how I, does I a knew music their video music casting but, process um, differ yeah it was weird it was um you know joseph khan directed it who's a really big video director. right probably the i would say under that undoubtedly the biggest video director in the world I and mean, he does films too um i was in one of his films a small thing but his films are he did it something like one of the torque type films that didn't do well, but he does his weird, like these crazy kind of films that, that are very unique. Um, and, uh, so he directed it and he's, you know, he is a really talented guy. He does like loads of like Tiff. He does all the uh, Taylor Swift stuff. I mean, he does anybody, any, everybody's big. He does the videos. So he comes, they come up with the ideas too. And he, this crazy idea. Uh, and I just got to, you know, at that point I hadn't, I was pretty, I was mostly looking after my kids. <laughs> I was doing a lot of like, my, my, my both of my boys were quite young at that point. I remember spending, it was nice, I was lucky, spending a lot of time with them. I don't think I'd worked much that year. Done a, I can't remember. 
Is that because you'd already filmed the likes of Batman Begins? I had that. Well, because I had that. I got Doom, Batman Begins, Black Time Dahlia. for Rising. I mean, it was just like a boom, 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 boom. And I was like, yeah, I'm rolling. You know, and this is what they're saying. Like, you think, ah, it's all happening now. I mean, you know, Doom is like, you know, I mean, because that didn't do as well as we would all hoped. Obviously, that was a factor. But it's like, yeah, it's all happening. And then I think there was like, I don't know. I, I can't remember what I did that year. I mean, this is 2006 or seven, something like that. 2006, yeah. Six, right? So no, I don't think there was much on going on. Um, like if I had done anything, I must have done something. But um, so they can't, you know, I got a call, come do a casting for a music video. Oh, I know why, because my agent likes Muse. There you go. So that's why, because she goes, oh, I know you don't want to do like music videos probably. <laughs> but I want to meet them. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Muse, so, you know, and that was what it was. And then I went and I did, I don't know what the hell I had to do. And then I, from Joseph, knew Batman Begins, though. And he's like, oh, my God, that's a guy from Batman Begins. Definitely, you know, get him in. And uh, I did that. But I, but the guy who plays the cowboy in that, yep. the good guy, well, we got, again, This you were talking about earlier about how it's the experience as much as it is the, the actual thing. Um, we just got on really, really well. And he's now, like, one of my closest friends. In Amazing. The yeah, I'm still been in touch for him, you know, you know, all, all the time. He's, like, a very, very, very close friend. Um so you just you just never know. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, well, I want to get into Rob Zombie and Game of Thrones and a couple of the other yeah, more before, indie films that you've done. Time, right? But can we change batteries? Because I'm worried that these are going to perhaps run out. Yeah. Is that cool? So we're going to yeah. do a Good. part one pause. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we're back in the room. Round two. <laughs> Talking so much, we have to change the battery. That's good, though. I'm going to do this as a two-parter. So, um, Rob Zombie, I heard an interview with you and you said, and obviously you've worked with some amazing people that we've mentioned, you know, Anthony Mangella, Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg, Christopher Nolan. And you said in this interview that Rob Zombie is your favorite director yeah. to work with. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I work with great directors and, and in no way am I saying that I, you know, I don't like the other ones or, but if I had to choose one without a doubt, Rob's my favorite without a doubt. Yeah. 
how did you get the call for Halloween 2? I read that it was Sig, Sid Haig who yeah, put that, you forward. Yeah. Is that true? Or is um, no, that's no. <laughs> <laughs> From, uh, yeah, never believe everything on the internet. It's crazy what people do. No, it's, um, I, what happened really was that uh, I auditioned. I was just, I had, I was going through um, a um, uh, separation at that point and uh, business. It was 2008 here. And just like you couldn't, there was nothing going on. Like all these projects, I had three projects get canceled that I was going to do. And they were good ones as well. Um, or two were canceled, one changed directors. And uh, so he recast the whole thing. And it was just like, oh, I was like, oh my God. And of course, when you, I don't know, you have you ever been separated, man, or divorced? It's like I've been separated, a big yeah. change. And you got to look at different financially, everything. I had a couple of kids. So I had thought I got to go spend some time in LA. You know, I hadn't been to LA and done the LA thing for a long time so um I moved kind of I was flying back and forth all the time because I had these kids but I moved to LA in 2000 right at the beginning of 2009 and um I uh my first audition I think was for Halloween 2 so it was like can you can you come I was like all right I went in did the scene and I think you can actually see the audition is somewhere it was on like uh, one of the DVDs I think they had it as a like one of the extra you know DVD extras. Were you cool with that? Yeah, yeah. I think I don't even know if they asked me permission, <laughs> but um, I think they, I don't know if they did, but I don't mind because it was a good audition. Actually, it was fun. It was a it was a crazy character like the the uh, I think the, the necrophilic. Uh, I was going to say the the characters that you played up until then, you done kind of like sleazy businessmen, morally reprehensible kind of you know dastardly characters but i think this was probably the first all-out deranged warped character in your canon right yeah like, yeah just all out just fucking like, yeah a fucked up guy yeah yeah and he's talking about you know yeah shagging corpses raping yeah. corpses yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. incredible yeah. And, i mean it's and, brilliant i mean rob's a great writer i mean a lot of people they just don't give him credit for it, but he's honestly a great writer and uh as the opening of 31 but yeah. um he you know he you know, he just wrote this crazy scene with these two more guys you know i mean in you know most films that would be just two people driving a truck with the, with the corpse of you know michael myers his last victim and then michael myers in the back or whatever and they would have some banal conversation but mm-hmm. not rob it's just weird discussion about shagging one of the one of the corpses and um i just did the you know, rob doesn't like to be at auditions he just has the casting director tape them and then he looks at them and uh so i just went in the casting director and just did this thing weird thing with the, with the corpse uh the necrophilic guy and then um <laughs> next thing i know i got this call from my agent in la my it was from my la agent and saying uh they want to offer it to you and i was like great and then i was like oh my god rob zombie and i knew his music but that was it i hadn't really seen his films or anything so i watched the films and i was like oh my god you know, like devil's rejects or whatever and then uh check this you know videos out and he's just this you know how intense he is and he's gonna make him he's you know he's like his crowd's going mental and i just figured he's just going to be this insane rock star crazy director i was just going to be a nightmare experience so i was kind of kind of nervous and when i flew to atlanta to shoot it and um uh i'm then i meet him and he's you know just the sweetest gentlest just a incredibly generous man i'm standing outside the uh my trailer chatting to him and he's a vegetarian a vegan and i was a vegetarian i've been trying to for years to give up cheese 
and we're having a chat about vegan cheese and i'm thinking wait a sec i'm with this guy that <laughs> talking about vegan cheese you know and this uh, and he's you know in many ways nothing like the persona that you know you, you the rock and roll persona though he is probably the coolest guy i know but still he's a very as you say sweet considered extremely intelligent individual oh, incredibly intelligent massive film geek like yeah. a student yeah. of cinema and i mean the work that he's done has i think had varying degrees of success in terms of the critics response but if you're a fan of that style of filmmaking like he's the master he's yeah. up there for me with rodriguez and, yeah. and tarantino oh yeah yeah and Definitely. you can see the influence of those guys on him particularly mm -hmm. i think with the writing and the dialogue you can see like he's very yeah. much a kind of tarantino guy in that sense isn't he like, oh yeah yeah he i mean gives these... he's so sharp and it's you know and and he's i mean the thing i I mean, it's, it's so many qualities that are, are incredible and incredibly inspiring. Like one thing I often say when people ask is, you know, the thing I think that makes him one of my favorite directors or my favorite director and, 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 and one, of, one of the things is that his, um, he inspires everyone, like everyone to be as creative and the best they can be uh, on a set. It's like not just the actors, but even the producers, you know, and... Uh, even the you know the the runner who might be just doing their intern for the you know everybody's just so geared up to be in this kind of gang to do this work it's 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 intoxicating i mean it's it's really incredible and um uh and that's partly cuz he's such a great like he's like a force of creativity and that's what you see when we were just talking earlier about how he's doing uh touring at the moment yeah. he's doing this um uh uh, he's shooting instead of like he toured last year uh, with with Manson, and you know they had a lot of photos. They were he was posting on Instagram, but this year we've got videos. He's doing videos. He has uh, Rob Fenn going with him and videoing as well, which is like genius move. It's like oh, you know we'll video, do videos, and give you know people are getting videos now on Instagram of seeing it and getting geared up, and uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if there'll be some you know video that comes out, DVD or something. I mean, he's just constantly thinking. He's so creative. He draws. He just doing something all the time it's, it's incredibly inspiring he raises his capital himself as well right yeah i, I mean well you know he has like obviously it. there's you know you know they have you know lionsgate and saban are involved in in uh three from hell and they were involved uh or i think saban bought 31 but um you know he he, he to some extent um i know that w there was the whole crowdfunding for 31 yeah which helped i mean it Definitely didn't cover the full budget. That's for sure. But it, you know, it helped. Uh, you know, helped pay for some lunches or whatever. Yeah, you know, it did. You know, it's <laughs> tough to make a movie. Um, with uh, Three from Hell, they had you know obviously because it's a Devil's Reject sequel. There was much more proper proper uh, funding, and you know, he didn't have to. He didn't have to do any crowdfunding for that. And they gave him. They they definitely gave him some money for that one. But it's good. Tell me about your initial reaction when you got delivered the script for 31 and you're reading that opening monologue from Doomhead because that is one of the finest pieces of dialogue to any opening scene yeah, that I've ever I mean, seen. It's, um, it's unbelievable. Um, Did you change even a word? No, no. I mean, honestly, I, that's what, because a lot of people come up to me and, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, oh, that opening monologue, man, you were so, you know, and, and I really appreciate it. it. Yeah, you I mean, it's, it. I have some really, really lovely um, reactions from people. Uh, but I always say, you know, I learned the lines and and, and said it because Rob had written. I mean, you know, one of the things 
great performance. You know, you realize when you've been doing this for a while is that it's not just the actor that makes these performances happen. I mean, that's it's the writer, it's the director. You know, Rob made the choice to shoot black and white. Rob made the choice to put the camera right on me and then wrote that incredible monologue, which I did not change a word at all. I mean, I, I basically drove around L.A. repeating it so much that it was embedded in my skull by the time we shot the, shot the scene. Because it's a one-take shot as yeah, well, isn't it? Pretty much, he said, like, what I want to do the priest is, about two-thirds exactly, of the way through. But. Exactly. He's like, I just want to shoot, I really want to just shoot this as one take, Rich, you know, so can, you know, that's my aim. Um, and then, you know, cut away. So I knew, I was like, kind of, it was my challenge. I thought, I went, when he finally cuts, I hope it's as late as possible. So the later he cuts, and I know the more successful that I've been. So, if, you know, if he obviously cuts uh, to Daniel Roebuck in the chair, really early then he's obviously not that you know there's something he's not really happy with what he's seen so i was kind of like how how long is it going to go before he, you know when i was watching it how long is it going to go before he cuts to daniel when i was pleased it goes a long time so he wanted that he wanted it to be he'd had that that whole opening image i think a long time in his mind that he really wanted that to be this one long take of uh this kind of nutcase giving a crazy speech to a man about to die it's a dream role. I mean, yeah, I'm amazing. just going to whack this back on as well. With the um, the sex scene, when he gets the call that he's got to be brought into the game, yeah. and he's Ginger having man. sex with this woman, and there's like Nosferatu's playing on the TV, there's like this metal music playing. Yeah. I mean, it was when I read the script, and I was like, oh my, you know, my first reaction was just like, uh, I was over the moon. I mean, I was, I mean, as any actor would be with a part like that. And then within about two hours, I was like, oh my God. God, am I going to be able to do this? You know, it's just, I don't want to let him down. And I think in a way that became my thing. Because I, I was lucky, I was in LA at the time and I, and I had a couple of weeks off so before we filmed. So I flew back to London to spend some time with my kids and also just really get that part under my into my head. So I spent all that time on it and then flew back to LA to start. Um, so that helped. And also, um, I had a kind of thing, is I just didn't want to let Rob down. I mean, it was a big big thing for him to offer me that and I and I subsequently learned I'm glad I didn't know this at the time again Rob being really smart not to let anyone listen to me know this was that he had to really fight for me to get that part really because oh yeah I mean they, the money people wanted like you know a bigger name for sure um you know whether a bigger horror name or or whatever but they definitely didn't who the hell is you know Rich Bright you know and he really fought really fought hard and said no no man he's the guy to do it and did he know that off just the back of that one coroner scene did he just see I you being this I guy yes and... i mean i guess because i mean you know he's not I, I doubt it you know i'm trying to think of some silly film i might have been in that i doubt he really watched i mean it's probably <laughs> i mean i think it's he just he's um, again like i don't i don't know how he can do that because he's constantly finding actors you know or someone who was great once and then you know he, he refines them and, and well sid Haig, yeah classic sid, I mean, case totally i mean you know the, the apocryphal story is sid was managing a you know apartment buildings or whatever and you know and then rob brought him in and you know he's you know obviously huge um so i don't know i don't i mean i'm like what if there's something that he just knew i could do it and uh so he fought really hard, which again I'm glad I didn't know that until later. But because um, I've been really nervous then, but uh, I didn't want to let him down, you know. So that was every day I would just be, you know, I would just have a little meditation, a little prayer. I was just like, I'm just going to do my best, and I want to let Rob down. And uh, yeah, so I'm really, I'm really proud of that film. It's I amazing, think, you know. I mean, it gets a lot of, a lot of the 
some of the some of the fans aren't as keen of it, um, but then others love it. So it has a you know has a real love hate thing. But um, what about that line when you go, let's do it Whitechapel style? Is that yeah. you? What the line? No, the, yeah, he wrote that. He wrote that as yeah, well. And I, thought, I mean, I that's some deep knowledge. Do, I cannot do a like uh, a London accent, so I had to do a kind of you know sort of a little bit of a Cockney in my attempt. <laughs> But he, I just, yeah. Oh, he just kudos to Rob then. He had yeah. that reference in his head. Yeah, he just put that in. You know, I did, because Rob's very, allows you really to do a lot of improvisation. He's very happy to do that. In fact, he encouraged it. In Three from Hell, we do, I do quite a bit more. Um, and it was totally encouraged by him, some crazy stuff. And um, I'm not sure I should be in the film, but it's been, it was a laugh. But um, in, uh, in this one, although I'm sure he'd been happy for me to improvise, I, I, hardly at all had to because the dialogue was so good so good i mean there was really i wasn't i mean i can't think when you know if there was anything that man i might have one or two lines but not really like all those speeches were just word perfect wow you know it was crazy um and that and that and that and the and the when i'm having sex that's actually (laughs) very famous porn star from the 80s right ginger lynn so and I'm of that age, so I'm like yeah, yeah, in the yeah. '80s. That would be I would have been a teenager. Um, <laughs> so and the night before, because I was nervous. That was like to be honest with you. That's my first. I used to say love scene, and then Jeff Daniel Phillips corrected me once at a panel said that's his idea of a love scene. <laughs> but that's not the first love scene I've ever done in anything. So I'm reading this. I'm like, and that was the one thing that made me nervous. Most nervous of all, it's like I'm really. I was really anxious, and that was about day four of my shooting or day five. If it may even sooner. And um, so I was like, oh, and I didn't know who it was going to be that I was with. I was like, oh. so night before the producer says to me, oh, but you know, it's uh, um, a great producer, by the way, Mike Elliott, who does all of uh, Rob's films. He's, he's just an, he's an incredible guy too. Cause most producers, you know, I don't know, <laughs> hit and miss, but he is incredible. And Mike says, Mike's like, oh, it's Ginger Lynn. You got Ginger Lynn's your, uh, your uh, date tomorrow. I was like, Oh my God. So then it went from being a little terrified to absolutely beyond catatonically terrified. terrified. Um, so he showed up in, in, uh, and Ginger's in the trailer getting her makeup done or whatever. And I kind of went in and introduced myself. She goes, and um, she says, uh, and oh, by the way, in my trailer, they hang, you know, because it's like um, they give you these um, underwear that are like skin colored or whatever so that you can be. You know, not not naked, but naked kind of thing. So they were all hanging in my in my trailer. So I come in, I see Ginger. Hi, Ginger. She goes, yeah, hi. I introduce her, and she's really nervous because they had just changed the whole script on her, and she hadn't realized it. The lines had changed. They'd given her like the script a bit late, so she was quite nervous. And she acts. She's a great actor, actually, she's really, really great. But you know, she doesn't hadn't done it for a little bit, so she was quite nervous. And I was really nervous about the sex bit, which she's more, much more experienced than me. On, right? so no doubt. This might work. And then she, and she goes, so what are you going to wear? Um, she's asked me, you know, when we do this. And I said, well, I know. What, what were you thinking? She goes, well, I used to be a porn star, so I'm happy to just go naked. I said, Ginger, if you go naked, I'm going to go naked. So we just went completely start naked for it. And, uh, and it was honestly the most, this is what working on that film was amazing. Like every day I go in, There'd be a scene, I think, oh, we can just make the scene as good as it's written. And I feel good afterwards, that would be great. And every time after we finished, I would feel that scene is a hundred times better than I thought it would go. Partly because Rob would just come up with stuff or we would come up. And that was a great example of that. Like I was just, if I could just get through the sex scene and it looks okay. 
but we just ad libbed death on that one. We did ad lib. Like, oh, he, he goes, just make it filthy. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So there's stuff on the cutting room floor that would literally make my poor mother pass out. And it's like <laughs> crazy stuff. But she was brilliant. She was nervous. So I was like trying to just keep her calm and, you know, help her with the acting. We ran lines a lot. And then, of course, her, she just helped me stay calm. And we just, honestly, it was an absolute blast. But yeah. And then it was my girlfriend's birthday. So she, I'm texting her. I'm actually taking this scene. She's back in London. I'm going, well, with Ginger Lynn actually doing a sex scene. What? <laughs> Happy my birthday. My girlfriend is very, uh, very understanding. <laughs> She's very cool. How was it strangling Rob's wife? Was that uh, a kind yeah, of tough no, scene for you to approach? No, no, and she's a great, another great actor, way underrated. It gets, you know, again, because she she could do a lot more acting. I asked her the other day, I said, you know, you could do a lot more, but she doesn't really want to. I mean, she's very, very happy with... Um, they got a good thing going, They right? do, yeah. and they like and being, so they like movies, being so. together. And I think if she was working more, doing more acting, she'd have to be a part a lot more, obviously. Um, and they love being together, and... Uh, it's a, they're a great couple. And um, she, like the other thing I say, the reason why I think Doomhead works so well is because of her. Well, like, that final scene with good the pair of them in the road. Exactly. You know, that's my favorite scene. Dream on playing. My favorite you scene. You covered in blood. That and all the stuff too trembling. where I'm, she's down and she's so terrified and I'm doing the whole speech about Che Guevara and the, the White the Chapel cigars, stuff yeah, and yeah. all that. And she's like, you know, she, she was brilliant that day. Like, I mean, she's always brilliant. But that day, she, you know, it was like, because it was an intense scene for her. You know, mm. she gets hit. She has to be like, and just completely at the end. And then, of course, we shot pretty much the next day or that day, the final bit too, you know, on the road. And she's so good. That's why I could do what I could do because she's so just willing to go there and do that. Because if she was all precious, right? you know, she's not at all. She's completely like, I mean, she... The, what she had to go through on that film was brutal. Like mm-hmm. she was just absolutely beaten by the end of it, and she worked most days, and every day was just like covered in blood. And I mean, it was intense, and that was a really intense day. And you know, she was she was brilliant, they were really brilliant. And that's why, again, Doomhead wouldn't be Doomhead if it wasn't her being so brilliant on the other side of that. Another one of the bits that I love is when you're in the bathroom and you're like hitting yourself to get your nose all bloody. And again, you're not crazy, you're in control. You're not crazy, yeah. you're in control. Was that in the script as no, well? No, I don't think it was. I'm trying to remember, but I think Rob came up with that. Again, that's what's so fun about it. You go in, the scene is this, it's going to be you know, on paper. But then Rob's like, well, I'm having the idea that maybe you punch yourself. Or he might say like he punched himself or something. But it was very, you know, wasn't a big thing in the script. And Rob's like, well, I'll do it. Why don't we do it? Like, And he's kind of working it out. I'm sure he has a lot of it already in his mind, but... When he's there, he's like, oh, you know, I'm shoot you from behind. You know, so he's the camera's behind me, and he's like doing that whole thing. And, you know, it feel weird because you're not really hitting yourself. But you know, and then when you see it, it's like, wow, you know. And then he, then the whole, like, when I'm screaming, I'm not crazy, I'm in control. And bah, bah. I mean, that's a little bit me adding to more fucks and shit because I love adding fucks. I think oh. at the end of Halloween 2, I say fuck like 20 times as I'm dying. Yeah, when you're just about to be decapitated, yeah. Fuck, yeah. fuck, fuck. I want to ask you this, Rich. You seem to have a very uncanny ability to tap in to real darkness, real craziness. Um, you're obviously not that. You seem like a lovely man. Uh, how come you find that so easy? Do you think that there's any reason why you suit that kind of a character so well and why you um, can go to those places so easily? I think... I mean, I, I I think what it is, uh, partly, again, it goes back sort of the training we're talking about earlier. And uh, um, 
the need to really look at your own thinking. So I you know, obviously I've been cast partly just a lot of it because of the way I look to these darker roles. So in a way they were coming my way early on. And then kind of at some point, I, I don't even know when it was, but I realized that you, you know, to put, well, I do remember really understanding on Game of Thrones, for example, where I'm just darkness, like just evil, but have no lines. It really hit me on that one. But the, the need to go to that, within me to go to that dark place, like that's my responsibility, sounding a little wanky here, but and kind of as an actor, if I'm going to play those roles, I have to, I can't pretend to go there. I can't, because most of us, all of us can do it. Like all of us can think and be in a place where we're all capable of thinking everything. So we can go to those dark places. Like, and we probably do occasionally. And usually when we think, oh, I'd like to just fucking blah, 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 whatever it might be, our brain either goes, oh, I can't think like that. You know, that's how we, because we're programmed not to think those things. Or, you know, and they can be bad. I mean, like really bad stuff. Um, and I can't let my little thing do that. I have to go there, right? That's my responsibility. And so at some point, I just allow that to, allowed that to happen and to not, and to know that it's just, ultimately it's not going to kill me. I, you know, get rid of that little voice so that I can, it, with, with for fear of sounding really wanky, um, inhabit this really really dark place without any fear, just really be there a hundred percent, and come back okay. Yeah, because I know I because you, you ultimately you have to trust that you'll come back okay. Yeah, and you, and you will. I mean, because it, it's the fear that we won't come back okay, and also mostly it's programming, social programming that we're not meant to think these thoughts. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 uh, and so I you know that that's just allowed that to happen and somehow and then i was able to access it and that and on, on game of thrones when i was doing that uh, hard home episode i remember the first night walking down and raising my arms and doing it and i was just like uh, covered in prosthetics and just like well, and then my eyes are fucking killing me because of the biggest damn context between him and i and i'm like what the fuck is the point of this and then i go in home that night i go i gotta figure out why i'm doing this really what's it about and then I really realized who that character was in the relation of this immense universe that's really impacted people in a huge way throughout the world. And Biggest a, TV show of all time. And there's it? a reason, I think, because it so taps into like all the things that Greek theater taps in, like what his, yep. why we need film and theater, really, and, and to, as a catharsis about good and evil, about everything. He even has incest. The, like, Betrayal. The, everything. That's yeah, all those Shakespearean traits. Totally, totally. And... Uh, he, this character really portrays, at that time I felt, portrayed utter darkness, utter evil. Our greatest fear is not just death, but after death someone fucks with us and turns us into their army or whatever in his case. But, you know, that we, we're not even, you know, we're at being controlled even beyond death, you know, by this man. So I just thought, no, I really have to inhabit that. So the next day we go back and I really then did, I really made a real effort to do what I was saying earlier with this particular character. I did the same thing, just walked. You know, basically walked down, I'm in a pair, raised my arms, right? But in a much different place, I felt. And immediately, whereas the day before, I'd just done it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's great, great, thanks. They go, oh, I was brilliant. Nothing changed. Like, no, no different action, right? But the director was like, everybody, even the cameraman was like, oh, I was so brilliant. But it was weird. And that was all because of something going on up in my, uh, my head was different, you know? It was just, so it really shows me whatever, it's, does stuff does work, you know, as an actor anyway. But yeah, weird. The guys from Mastodon were in that scene. Did you get to meet them? Did they come up and say hello? So they're like a metal band. 
and they were definitely oh, in that's that. Right. Um, they were definitely in you that. You know, hardly anybody scene. came and said hello because I was just <laughs> covered in, yeah. in, in in glue and shit, and I hadn't slept for three hours, so I was mostly just sitting on my own, sipping out of a straw. Um, was that? experience enjoyable for you and what why did you leave why did you not stay on yeah the end? it was enjoyable and um it was enjoyable in that i was a part of an amazing thing and i knew it even then it was enjoyable and then that the people on it are incredibly talented on every level you know whether it's the what you know at every every cast crew everybody and the amount of props money spent on centers, it everything, yeah, everything is so costume. brilliant like i mean i flew back and forth to ireland to do just costume and makeup like four times before we even started I mean, there's so much attention being put into it. So that was incredible. Um, the actual filming of it was hard because it's, you know, I slept three hours and I was like six hour makeup in the morning. Two hours six to, hours, yeah, that's how long it was. Two to take it off. So eight hours just makeup alone. Um, and the contact lenses were brutal because they're, they're, they're these kind of scolari or whatever they call them, but they're just, they're just, they kill you. And after four hours, they have to take them out. So you can imagine your body's like trying to reject them, putting them back in. They're like literally holding me down. So that was tough. But, um, and also, man, you had like fingernails that were up to your ears. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even pee or yeah, I definitely couldn't take a shit because, I mean, they would have to shut the whole production down, you know? So it was like, I had to be careful how much I ate. I mean, the whole thing, it was like a real interesting kind of physical experience. Um, but in terms of being a part of that, I was so very, I'm so grateful because it, it, it was, like I said, it was a real honor. It's a real honor to be a part of that and to play that character. Um, why I didn't come, I mean, basically I was doing, they, you know, they, they weren't like letting us know if they were going to use me. I, all I knew was he might be important. He might, you know, I didn't know a lot. Um, and I was also uh, doing Bastard Executioner, which which was a good part at the time and what I thought might be a big show because it was um, uh, um, Sutter's, uh, he's done, uh, what? Kurt Study, yeah. yeah. Sons Kurt of Anarchy. Anarchy. All right, he just done Sons of Anarchy, so this was his next thing. Well, the so, cop from that is the other coroner in Halloween 2. Oh, yeah, 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 he's, yeah, he's a nice guy. And, um, so it was like all oh, this was going to be the next big thing, you know, and they were throwing everything at it because F FX, I think is the channel really loves, you know, Kurt Sutter. And so, and it read well, like the first script, but there was only one script and I had a nice part and it was going to um, potentially could let, let, you know, like quite a, quite a nice couple of years working. Yeah. A few so, seasons. And then of course, so it was hard to schedule both. That was one of the big starting reasons. Um, and also, uh, isn't it funny how life well. turns out when they you spend so well. many years trying to get a role and then you're yeah, like, oh, I've now got yeah, to choose got between 20, two great I ones. Know. <laughs> and it was all, so the scheduling was hard. And also I think they were, the, um, the man who took over Vlad, amazing, lovely, and like the best, uh, one of the best sword stuntmen in the, in the world. Like he's great at sword and horseback. I think he's an amazing horseback rider from what I understand. So it kind of makes sense logically too, to have a stuntman do what could potentially be a lot of, you know, stunt work as well rather than have two people or, you know. So I think the combination of those two things really led to what I never regretted. Like people think, oh, you were recount. I never, it was not even that at all. It was a purely with decision as much on my end. Um, and I'm not regretted because I don't think I could have done um, 31 even. Like there's a lot, because 
they tie you up a long time, even though they may not be using you. There's potential that you know you you, you know it's Game of Thrones. So yeah, oh, man, I would have missed hard. out on Doomhead. I would have missed seeing and it could change my whole life. So you think on one hand, you know, because I was a bit like, oh, it'd be great if I could do both, make it work, you know. But and then you know it doesn't, doesn't. You're like, oh well. And then of course, if I look back, there was in fact pretty much most of the work I've done. I don't th- definitely don't think I could have done three from hell. So you know, most of the work. Um, in those years would have been very hard to schedule in as well so definitely you know and but i still got to be a part of it and play and do what i think is my favorite scene anyway hard home yeah and did you watch the rest of the show out were you invested in it i will uh no (laughs) (laughs) i don't honestly i didn't i I, 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 I was only going to say because anyone listening to this will go you have to ask him how he feels about the ending because oh I so, did watch the last season where so many people though, jumped I mean, in I, on I the ending I basically knew what was happening I would follow it and you know I would follow it um, plot wise and, and I would find out what's going on partly because um, you know I'll go to conventions and people ask me and I, so I knew what's going on and I would watch episodes from time to time and it was because I know all the characters would be easy enough to pick up and then I watched the last season for a number of reasons but um, partly because I was with people that were in it and we were i was weirdly in in the states a lot last this year earlier this year um doing some conventions and some other things working as well on, on a film so i watched um last season yeah this season and thoughts um i mean honestly it got kind the, of people berated, are all, i know it? but people are always no one's ever going to be happy when something comes to an end yeah i mean never a true never, word you know and it should have been I like this. They should have done that. Yeah, I mean, it's just inevitable. I mean, it, I, you know, it was such a. I, I'm just grateful that they ended it, as opposed to. I mean, they could have easily just milked another three years out, and it just died a death. Yeah. And rather, it was such a good decision to end it, in eight, you know, at eight years, um, and and I, you know, I think they did, you know. And I was really happy with my ending. Um, Dude, Ari is my favorite my character. My favorite character. Always. I've got a t shirt yeah. and then I'm going to show you after. It says ACDC, but Ari is A R Y A. And uh, so I was overjoyed with the ending because I loved what they did with Sansa and her. And Yeah. I mean, see, again, people don't look at that. I mean, you know, they're all complaining about whatever they're complaining about, but the way they developed her character oh, and amazing. It's genius. Genius. And I hope and she, she gets her own spin off. It'd be so cool. I want to talk to you about a couple of the indie films. Then we'll talk about Mandy. And then I guess we'll tease uh, Three from Hell. But so last night I watched two films of yours, which are perhaps lesser known ones. Outpost was the first, yeah. which is kind of like a zombie Nazi film. Not yeah. in the style of Dead Snow. No. It's not like a silly. It's a lot more rooted in science and, you know, kind of horror. Um, and you in that, again, this kind of ex-Marine character, totally fearless, like killing machine, badass. A, a great death scene once again like you've yeah, had some great death great, scenes oh, yeah. from doom to halloween 2 to that one where you're mauled by zombies and that cast as well you've got michael smiley yeah um, great an amazing little kind of indie film that obviously i guess you just filmed in a field somewhere right oh yeah like, we did you did you know it's weird about that one is we filmed that uh mostly now you'll film in eastern europe a lot of stuff especially that kind of budget gets filmed in eastern europe um and Eastern Europe doubles for everywhere. Yeah. In particular, like all over America, it's Eastern Europe. We're not really America. And that film we shot in Scotland, doubling for Eastern Europe. So wow. it's weird. It's backwards. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, it's set yeah. in Eastern Europe, isn't yeah. it? But, but it's shot filmed up. in Scotland. It's brilliant. Shot it in Scotland. And uh, that was great fun. I mean, Michael's, you know, I met Michael then. And, um, you know, it was a, a, just, again, a bunch of guys hanging out in Scotland making a movie for a month. 
Um, you got some great dialogue in that as well. Yeah, it was some weird because I was having this weird Steve McQueen obsession at the time. Okay. He's a great actor, right? Steve McQueen. Oh, he's amazing. Way, a lot of people sort of think, oh, you know, Steve McQueen, you know, because he's, he's known for like just being iconic as a human being. But if you watch him as an actor, he's incredible. And he doesn't, what's so great is he used to, somebody told me he used to go in and like just cut all his dialogue because he, you know, he thinks you could just do it with a look. The way he listens to the other actors, um, you know, you can just see so much listening to them and just doesn't need to speak half the time. So I had this whole like, obsession with Steve McQueen. I, I call that my Steve McQueen uh, performance because I was just reading everything about watching every one of his films, really just analyzing Steve McQueen for some reason. And I would go and I would be like, no, we can cut those lines. So I used to cut like half the lines sometimes. But, you know, it did pay off because I really wanted... Uh, it and makes him a bit more mysterious, product. doesn't it? Really? <clears throat> yeah, I wanted him to be just a man of few words, just yeah. really. And he was he's actually a good guy for the first time, like I'm playing. I mean, he's a hard ass, but he's not a bad guy. And I just wanted him to be just a man who, you know, when he spoke, it was there was a reason. And um and it was it was fun to play that kind of just tough, mm-hmm. just full marine. And, What's yeah. wrong with you? You look like you fucked your sister. Yeah. Like, it's great life. Yeah. And then the other one I watched is the incident, which sort of, I guess, must wow. have been almost like a preschool for Game of Thrones because yeah. your character in that film has not a single word of dialogue in the whole film. And he's basically this kind of crazed lunatic that it's implied it's never explicitly revealed or you know resolved, but it's implied that he's behind this kind of riot in this as- asylum. Yeah. And he gets all the, the inmates to stop taking their medicine and rise up and madness ensues and he kind of just like a specter floats around and crops up and yeah it was fun that was shot in belgium and it was um it was weird because that was i thought it was gonna be challenging no no dialogue and he's meant to be basically the force behind it all that he said um and i i forget i was filming something else before in america so i had to fly back fly there and i hadn't done a lot of preparation but i had this one thing where i thought He's obsessed with like worms. I made it up because I had to work out what this guy's issues yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that the worms are inside of people's mouths. So there's like one scene where I have to like dig inside someone's like the lead guy's mouth and look. And I'm looking for, and that's all me. I decide. I actually decided to start digging in his mouth and doing all that weird shit and stuff, just to just to figure it out. But it was it was definitely challenging. I tell you what was particularly challenging on that film is I put my back out for the first time in my life seriously badly so there are scenes in that where they literally had to like force me into position i'm in agony while i'm going through it and stuff because for some reason it just seized up then and it's never been as bad since never but that one that one particular film so i always remember the one where i've spent most of the time on my back and then they'd bring me in and i was just like oh, okay but i made it it's fine and what about mandy would you look at that as an indie film yeah, because obviously Nick Cage is in it. He's obviously a huge star, but it's it's very unusual, isn't it? Oh yeah, as a film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's incredibly. I mean, he's a visionary, um, Panos. It has that almost Dario Argento, yeah, Italian horror feel yeah. with the colors and yeah, but with crazy mad bikers from hell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's a, it's. A, I mean, people. I mean, it's gotten incredible reviews. Mm, it's an um, amazing film. If no yeah. one's seen it, I strongly recommend. Oh it. yeah, hundred like percent. It's Nick Cage in some of his most possessed and demonic yeah. and finest work. Like with that scene when he's drinking the straight vodka and like yeah, yelling and screaming. And the guy we mentioned earlier, Linus Roach. Yeah, 
There's yeah. Jeremiah, is it? Yeah. This kind yeah. of cult he's, leader. And that was great casting move because, you know, I, I not thought of Linus in a role like that. And no. They put him in. It was brilliant. Um, and then you play the weird. chemist. Just one yeah. scene. You, Nick Cage, and a tiger. The weird, yeah, it was the weirdest because that, that basically I got my agent called me up and said, you know, oh, casting Nicolas Cage movie and like oh, whatever, sent me the script. And like, and my, and sometimes I'll get now, you know, shooting in wherever, that was Belgium too. And because um, of some of the work I've done around like 31 and things, I mean, there's a point where I, I get sent sort of bored at horror type films. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I really got to audition. And it's not a big part of it. I'm like, oh, really you know i'm a bit like you can make me go audition for it jesus when i'm not gonna have to audition for this right so it was a bit like i think i I, then i sometimes i'll say i'm just not gonna audition if they send them my reel i have a look because then they might be interested but um so i was about to do that and then sent me the script and i read it and i was like oh it's really crazy this is quite unique um and then they asked me to read for two parts one was the chemist and one was the part that Ned Denhay paid, which is the assistant, um, assistant to um, to the Jeremiah, Jeremiah's sidekick. And I was like, Jeremiah's sidekick's in the film a lot. So at the time, I wasn't working. It was summertime, and I hadn't got a job yet. And uh, I was like, oh, that's going to be like six six weeks' work. Man, that'd be good money. The other one, one day. Mm-hmm. But I read it. Literally one day. Yeah. And I read it, I go, I know which one I'm getting. Because I couldn't, because why Ned's so brilliant too, because he, because when I read it, I thought that character was a bit kind of dull. And Ned really makes it a great, like he does a great job. I mean, that character's memorable. I mean, I don't know. I, I, when I saw it, I couldn't work out how to do it. I didn't make anything of it. So I, when I did the chemist audition, I just took my shirt off. I had all these tattoos on my back. And I just did this weird like an audition. And two hours later, I got the job. And I was like, that's the fastest that I've ever got a job. But Panos had seen 31. So he already had known me. And then I was like, oh, okay, good. So I had done, uh, so then I got that. And it was honestly the most fun I've had in a long time. And Nicolas Cage. Because of working with him? Partly that and partly Panos, because he's so freaking out there. You know, he's just incredibly creative as well. And him and Rob, really, he reminds me a lot of Rob in that way. Uh, in fact, they met recently. So I got a text from Rob with a picture of the two of them having like 20 espressos each <laughs> talking for ages. Um, so they're very, they have a similar kind of creative, just well of, just, just huge creative well basically inside them. Um, and he just, you know, he's just, like, just ad libbed all kinds of stuff. And um, Nicolas Cage, again, I was like, how's he going to be? Because you're, you know, Nicolas Cage, I mean, he's just an icon. Is he going to be difficult? Amazing. Really. I, can, I mean, I've only worked with him one day, but one night actually it was. But, he, you know, he doesn't speak. So he could yeah, he's literally not, not be there, right? The when I'm doing my whole speech, some actors would just, of his stature, would just not even bother. They would just, you know, put a, put one of the runners in, in there and Nicholas Cage just sit, you know, smoking dope or whatever. I don't say he smokes dope, but yeah, would yeah, be sitting, yeah. in his, sitting in his trailer, Relax. you know, watching TV or yeah. something. Um, and he... Um, he stood there the whole time and, and literally was just like completely present the whole time I'm doing my thing. I like really with me on the whole scene. I was like, wow. I mean, there's no need for him to do that because uh, his camera ain't on him. It's on me. So I was beyond impressed with that. And he's uh, just a nice guy, lovely guy. And his performance is incredible. I mean, they're all saying it's his like best performance um Probably since years. leaving Las Vegas, yeah. I'd say. Honestly, people are, I mean, the reviews were incredible. 
which you know it's just a shame because it only got didn't get any theatrical release. And it just shows you went to Sundance, amazing review, amazing reviews of Sundance. Um, you know all this hype about this Nick Nick's best film, all this stuff. You know gets more great reviews and then has to go. Unfortunately, no theatrical release or very limited if it had one. Shows you how hard day, today it is to get indie films in theaters. I mean, if that can't get in theaters, I know, right? Oof, you know, I Miss mean, Nicholas Cage, best performance ever, rave reviews at Sundance, and you know, shows at six cinemas or whatever. That you know, it's, it's it doesn't hold much hope for you know the indie films. Well, it used to be like straight to DVD as well, but now because DVD sales aren't even really a thing, yeah, it's like unless you're yeah. on Netflix, where are you going to go? Yeah. Um, that leads us in perfectly to talk about, I guess, what would be your first lead role? Would you be right in saying yeah, that? Definitely. Perfect skin. Yeah. Like yeah. full on, you're the lead, front and center. And it's kind of, it's set in London. Is it filmed in London? Yeah. Yeah. Is it a British filmmaker? Yeah. 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 So it's an entirely British film. Yeah, totally. 100%. And you play this kind of, well, it's it's not the typical Richard Brake warped, deranged, no. over the top. Like it's a very normal grounded guy and he's a tattoo artist and there is a is the girl eastern european or, yeah, yeah she's from poland and yeah. she comes to stay with an australian because she's basically just got nowhere to go and then they meet this tattoo artist played by you and the australian girl has to leave london to go visit her parents and then without giving too much away you kind of start yeah. doing stuff yeah and yeah. i would say basically i kidnap a girl and tattoo her entire body then hang her from the ceiling there yeah. you go yeah but, um, and it's a real um, delve into a world which undoubtedly exists. Like, I've got a lot of friends who are tattoo artists, and yeah. they're normal, but there's there's dark characters in that world, and it attracts a certain type of person, I think, as well, the more extreme end of bodification. Yeah, yeah probably, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with, with the character who's named Bob, I think with Bob, because like you said, I didn't want him to be psychotic, yeah. you know, and I neither did Kevin, you know, who's another great director too. And that was his first feature, I'm pretty sure. Um, and uh, the, one of the things was that he not just be a nut, because I didn't want to do another nutcase. I'd done 31 and that was, you know, at that point was coming out, I think, while we were filming this. And I just, another psycho, just crazy guy. But what was great about Bob is that he's pushed because he's basically ill and he's losing. Well, it's about really about a man losing his art and he's trying to hold on to his art. I remember when I was in school that somebody once, my teacher once said the reason she, he thought that Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway had shot himself was because he, and later in life, was no longer able to write as well as he could in younger and his writing was how he kept kept his world together yeah. writing was how he kept his mind together yeah. in other words as his talent began to deteriorate he was sort of losing his one thing that he had and so he just knew he was losing it so he killed himself that's his theory right i'm not saying that i mean the Hemingway it makes scholars sense though, right be, when yeah. you lose your your gift your calling yeah. You feel lost yeah. and adrift, yeah. and, and he's like losing a, his family that's as what's well. Isn't he? Exactly, character. and so the, it's a man like that. It's not just a nutcase, right? I mean, I played a psychotic this summer in, in a TV series, like a pure psychotic, like a psycho, and that was really interesting to play. And it's very specific dynamics to those people, um, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's like you know, psychotics. But this guy is not that. You know, he's social. He can. He has empathetic. You know, he he's charming. Medicines. Yeah. You know, there's so are psychotics, but like Ted Bundy was incredibly charming. But yep. he's but he's charming in a way that he is empathetic. You know, he's got empathy. He does care, um, Bob. But Bob is just, and he becomes more and more obsessed. And he does flip at the end. I mean, he, you know, there's he does go somewhere else eventually. But 
it was it was incredible. It was challenging to try and make the audience feel some empathy towards him, or at least feel he's human. And that was what I really wanted. I didn't want to think, oh, it's another crazy Rich Breaks. You know, <laughs> and it's your first moment. lead role. You know, you're yeah. like what fifty five. It's been a yeah. long time coming. Yeah, I was. Re- I was <laughs> great. Kevin really. They offered it to me um, out of the blue. I think. You know, they had they were looking at somebody else had done a short. He had done a short initially to raise some money. An actual act, actor I worked with, um, uh, Ben Daniels had done the short a couple of years ago. He's Ben's in Doom. Great actor, um, great actor. And Ben had done a short they had made of this film, uh, and Ben wasn't available because he was, you know, filming something somewhere. And so they offered it to me, and I was like. Definitely met Kevin. I was like, yeah, absolutely, hundred um, percent. Once I realized, and Kevin wanted to make it too, very much like those old British films in the '60s that were, you know, not all just horror, but more like a peeping tom kind. Yeah, of Yeah, exactly, exactly. That was the one that we were talking about when I met him, and um, to be that kind of more in your head, than yeah. right up. And you know, the, there's a risky because audiences today want they want lots of you know action, but really went for that and i think it delivered i mean i wasn't sure it was going to work i wasn't sure whether a i could pull off you know whether there was enough in in there to make him somewhat empathetic or whether audiences would go with the kind of british peep and tom vibe that it was going to have but the reaction's been really really good uh it's won quite a lot of awards at different festivals and uh, nice it's yeah, available on really iTunes quick. as well. It yeah. is, you know. I mean, That's you know, it I doesn't. Rented. Unfortunately, there's not big marketing behind it. So yeah. really, people, you know, who are looking for something to watch is just, you know, it's not slash them up horror. It's really just very psychological and, and unnerving. Um, uh, I would love people to see it because you know it doesn't have a big name attached. You know, it doesn't uh, have big big uh, money behind it making you in your face all the time so you can't you know bomb bus billboards or whatever even barely at all it just sort of pops up on your screen when you're on uh, now tv or whatever you have but it is uh i'm really proud of that work i think it's uh you know i think it's a it's a little chamber piece that you know has its own its own little psycho you know, psychologically bizarre charm so yeah and how was it for you getting your teeth into a lead part uh, i mean i just i i, I loved it I mean, I, one of the things I loved about, A, I loved about having, in a, you know, a lead part, you've got basically so much to work with, which is great. But also, in a way, there was, I felt, because it was very indie, you yeah. know, we didn't have trailers or any of that. I mean, it was very indie. It was very, I mean, it wasn't complete low budget, nothing. But, you know, we had to cut corners, definitely. And everybody was working long hours and really hard. And tattoo stuff was tough to put on people. Um, so there was a lot of like, you know, tension at times as it can be on that type of stuff. I really felt the responsibility as the kind of guy who's there every day, who's the lead in film, to really not just, uh, I thought, when I started, I thought my job is not just to do a good performance, but also to kind of bring some, um, just some creative, and just the kind of what Rob does, but just give a bit of inspiration to make people feel good about coming, to, make people want to come to work. Yeah. You know, I want to do my bit to make people want to enjoy this experience. And I really enjoyed that. I really felt like, because I think my first day we were shooting, um, we were late. I think they were late setting it up, or we they got us there way too early. Like me and the other, me and Natalia, and I was a bit like, oh, the, you know, a bit like she's like, great in it. She as well. is, and I was a bit grumpy. I was like, oh, why are we here so damn early? And I thought, no, no, I can't have an attitude like that. You know, I had to say, like, you know, Natalia, it's a long day for her. With the, you know, maybe it was better to get her in. You know, I told producers quietly, but not 
you know, I thought I'm not going to have any, I'm just going to really try and make it a good, and that's a great, great thing about, I think, when you're, you're leading a film, is to try and also lead the company a bit. Yeah, you're, you're like the captain, right? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah, or at least like one of the, one of the important first mates, it's yeah. the director's probably the captain. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> the director's like, I'm not hiring him, he I'm the captain. The captain. <laughs> um, she's great in it, by the way, you're she's right. She's fantastic. And, you know, and she's, because a lot of hers is just really tough, she has to react to so much. And she had to go through incredible man. And she shaved her head for real. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, really she, I mean, incredible. she has she to go to so some very dark credit. places she psychologically. She so much credit for that, yeah. Really great work. Yeah. Um, what can you tell us about Three from Hell? Not much. Not much. Um, <laughs> so we can set the scene. It's obviously a sequel back. to The Devil's yeah. Rejects. Yeah. And as well as the original threes, Bill Mosley, Sherry Moon, and Sid Haig, yeah. you've also got yourself. Yeah. You've got your buddy Jeff Daniel Phillips. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about him, working with him on 31, uh, and then do you get to work with him in Three From Hell, or do you have scenes together? Yeah. Or, yeah? yeah. Tell me about, because um, he's, he's a good buddy of yours, oh, right? Really good, really good buddy. Yeah, I love Jeff. I love Jeff. Just texted me a minute ago. He said, because we've got a little project working on. He said, you can say a little bit, be vague. Um, <laughs> he is, and he's another incredibly talented guy. He directs as well. He directed a film quite a few years back um, and uh, writes. And just and also he's one of the sweetest people, really. And this in in especially in this business, you run into a lot of people that maybe aren't so sweet, yeah. And uh, and are a bit egomaniacs or narcissism or all kinds of stuff. And he's just just the loveliest guy. You can see why. I mean, he's not the fact that he's just a great actor and why Rob uses him, but he's just a great guy to have when you're working beside you, um, for many reasons. And uh, he brings so much to stuff. And um. We met actually at the Halloween 2, because we're both in that. He plays two parts in Halloween 2. Um, he, uh, at the premiere for that, and just hit it off there, just at a premiere, which, you know, rarely happens. And then we just kind of vaguely stayed in touch. And then on 31, we just had a blast and became really close. And now, Three From Hell, we had another blast, which was just, you know, working. I mean, it's like when you, when, when you work with Rob, it's honestly like working with the family. It's yeah. Really, Oh, he has like, those recurring oh, cast man. members and, uh, and the crew feel. as well you yeah. know and the producer like i said mike and all of us you know you see so many people you worked with you know before and just those guys I remember because i was doing uh, feedback of film with eddie marzen actually in spain and i had to literally fly straight to la to begin work on three from hell and it was so i just literally landed i was in and out from just finishing one thing and i went there and walked in and they had were they'd already started actually and uh, came in and they were all lunch and it was just like wow being home and I saw Sherry and then oh big hug and everybody. it was an incredible feeling um, uh, when you when you're working with Rob and the whole group of us and Jeff big part of that so it's lovely I mean when I'm there I usually stay with him there's a little room I stay in love great. it yeah but um, what are we saying about Jeff you're saying what little you can tell us you're hopefully oh, about to oh so yeah <laughs> so basically they're back you know, the, the uh, Firefly clan are back and um, badder than ever, you know. And just uh, shooting it was great in terms of, um, you know, we obviously you know, had uh, a lot more than 31 in terms of just things that are at disposal. And, um, yeah, just, what can I give away? Does it the feel trailer's like out, so they're giving yeah, away yeah. a bit on the trailer. I mean, you know that they survive. Does it feel like the culmination of all of Rob's work to date? I mean, we definitely think it's, I mean, while we were shooting it, 
all of us like this is going to be his best film you know and because devil's rejects is so good yeah like, i th- mean that's it is and people love it and you know there's always gonna be well it's the best film ever you, know, you could you could make you know citizen kane times 10 and people some some people i just can never yeah. accept it you know so i don't know it is as it is but all of us and i think rob included just think it's his masterpiece i think it's his best work and definitely on the paper and definitely while we're shooting it and you know and i rob seems he's really excited about it um been having some texts with him and he's just very 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 pumped this is definitely going to be his you know absolute masterpiece if not and then there'll be another great masterpiece after that yeah but, you know this is well he doesn't mess around does right it? you're not i mean we're <laughs> real, we were just knew when we were filming it this is just going to be this is going to be mind-blowing people are going to totally dig it and you've got danny treo in the mix as well yeah i mean, I mean do you get to do scenes yeah, with him do you get to work danny, with him yeah he's great yeah what yeah. a character oh yeah saw him at recently again at a comic con he's just such a old school been around done so much well he's like in mexican jails right like he used yeah, to be- yeah, he was in jail, I think, and then got up and just cleaned himself up, you know. He's pretty open about the fact that, you know, he's been clean for a long time from yeah. drugs and drink, and he's been a long time, like decades and decades. And just, you know, again, just a great guy. I mean, the thing about, you know, Rob, he doesn't bring, you know, doesn't surround himself with anyone who's an asshole, so everybody there is just really great to be with. But yeah, I mean, can't really give anything away. I wouldn't want to anyway. Nobody wants to know. You want to know what happened. You gotta, no. you gotta watch it, man. You know, it's better having the experience than going dry. Ah. But um, definitely, definitely think it's gonna blow your mind. Yeah, it's been a good ride. Hasn't yeah, it? let's hope it continues. I'm gonna knock on wood. Does it feel like you're just getting started in some ways as oh, well? Oh God, like? yeah, man. I mean, that's the thing with Jeff and I. We're working on a project. I was saying that. Oh, um, cool. Been trying to Jeff to direct. He's written it. Um, uh, and we've been looking hopeful that we've actually finally got our money in place. So I'm hoping to shoot that later in the year. And that, I play a lead again. So, you know, it's tough raising the money when the lead is Richard Brake. It's a lot easier when the lead's Nick Cage. But, um, you know, we're, we're, we think we have it together and we're, you know, it's a, a good little script. It'll be quite, quite, a, quite another crazy ride. Um, so, you know, there's so many things that, still got to do still looking forward to it. i mean i love it like i said i still love going out and learning and, and just doing you know things i mean and, and the one with jeff you know i'm probably to do a welsh do a welsh accent really I, yeah i gotta play a bit guitar i gotta do you know <laughs> so it's been a while since uh yeah i've done this playing welsh the whole way through should be quite welsh accent the whole way through i got you were uh, you had kelly jones i think yes right? yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. i was listening to that yesterday just a bit of that He's perfect accent, something like that. Nice and soft. soft, beautiful. Yeah. So I'm like, I'll be listening to that. I'll copy him the whole right time. Right on. He's a beautiful guy. Yeah. Yeah, really I nice love guy. Stereophonics, man. What a voice. Oh, great. Oh, amazing voice, right? Amazing. Yeah. Rich, shake my hand, dude. Honestly, um, I thanks. Here. I hope we haven't bored the pants off of. Uh, They're going to love everyone. it. Thank you so much for coming around to my flat and having a chat and yeah. coming on the show. It's been a great honor. Totally enjoyed it. Thank you so and much. I love your work, man. Fun. So long, mate. Thanks Continue. For me up. Thank you, man. Thank you. All the leaves are brown.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.